You're listening to the iFanboy 2012 All Media Year and Roundup brought to you by iFanboy listeners like you. One minute to midnight, one minute to go, one minute to say goodbye before we say hello. Let's start the new year right, 12 o'clock tonight, when they dim the light, let's begin. Hello, welcome to the iFanboy 2012 All Media Year and Roundup. My name is Connor Kilpatrick and I'm here with Ron Richards. Hello. And Josh Flanagan. Very glad to be here. <laughs> we... We are iFanboy.com, and we like comics, we read comics, but we also like other things, and as we've been doing every year since we started doing this uh, comics podcast, we're going to talk about the movies and TV shows and music and video games and books and podcasts, and also comics that we enjoyed this year. It's something we do as a little little, little different take than, it's, than the normal. It's more for us than it <laughs> is for totally you. for us. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a thing we do. So if you're tuning in for the first time, normally we talk about the week's books uh, with Eeyore, and then we... Uh, we, no, we no, no. No, it was the frog from yeah, the advertising. Exactly, agency. you were doing Gil, uh, Bill, and Phil, and <laughs> Lil. Hello, hello, Lil. <laughs> but at the end of each year, we like to talk oh. about the other stuff we enjoyed. So that's what we're doing now, and deal with it. Um, Don't get me started. You saw my tweet the other day. Fucking the sight think, of Kermit makes me cry now. It's awful. So uh, before we get to the show, quick warning: we'll be talking about movies and TV shows and such. So if you if, if you haven't watched a particular show, we talk about it. You might not want to be spoiled. We're not going to try to spoil anything, but we might. So I can't be held responsible for what we might say. So let's kick things off with everyone's favorite topic: movies. And we should note that uh, the, the end of the year is the year where, the part of the time where the year they they release all the big prestige films. And we we're recording this before some of the biggest ones. In fact, we're recording this mere hours before The Hobbit is released, so you won't hear us talk about The Hobbit or Django Unchained or Zero Dark Thirty or Les Mis. None of those big-time movies are, are, are going to be you, talking you, about. You, you, you Le, played Le, the abbreviation, huh? Les Mis is a big-time release? Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a giant Oscar uh, Oscar film this year. Oh, dear, like Chicago. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm looking forward to it. Of all the films, I'm looking forward to it the most. That's shocking. Also, I saw it in probably it was awesome. Also, we should note Who that... Who are you? I know. <laughs> someone like who, a... <laughs> who loves musicals? You don't. That's not surprising. Anybody. Connor loved Fosse. We should note that the comic book films are going to not get talked about because we did shows in each of them. So the Avengers, Dark Knight Rises, Amazing Spider-Man, etc. Dread. Those films. Yeah. You can look in the feed to find the others. <laughs> Which is really funny because, like, you know, when we do this, when we do this whole thing, how I prep for it is I go back, I look at every movie released and mark the ones I saw, and it was just amazing to see how dominant our world of movies were on movies this year. Yeah, I mean it was it was enormous. I mean I know it goes without saying, but like Avengers, Dark Knight, you know, was, even was, Amazing Spider-Man yeah. made like 300, 400 million dollars. Well, I liked Amazing Spider-Man anyway. So yeah. I did too. But yeah, but so we're not going to talk about those because we already talked about them. And what else can be said? Right. You know, really shawarma. Uh-huh. Kick it off, Ron. All right, I was completely flabbergasted about two weeks after I saw Wreck-It Ralph in theaters uh, when I realized that it's not a Pixar movie. No, it's not. I didn't know that. I totally it thought it was a Pixar like a, movie. It feels more like a Pixar movie than Brave did, which well, we're not going to talk about. Yeah, it but Disney and Disney's 
you know, that whole thing is headed by Lasseter. So obviously, yes. Like so he was the executive producer. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I really, I think I'm not sure. I don't know for sure, but I think it was the, the first like Disney Lasseter helmed, you know, yeah, anim- their animation you know, studio, though, computer, yeah, computer animation, kind of, you know, that style movie. And Wreck-It Ralph was just, it was just awesome. It was great. Um, I went to go see it with my nieces. So I had kids with me. So I had that kind of thing, but like talk about tapping into our, generations kind of past with all the video games and like and accurately creating a world that existed that can be instantly relatable over 30 years going from the simple 8-bit games all the way up to games of today i thought they really balanced it well it was a good solid story i think it it in the middle it kind of it spent a lot of time in the in the candy land which i was like (laughs) this is very bright most of the movie did take place there yes yeah yeah (laughs) but uh, but I just found myself – I mean like it, it was rare that I walk out of a movie where I'm like, oh, I want to see that again. So yeah. um yeah. It's I, rare that I walk out of a movie and didn't say – I could have used less Sarah Silverman. Yeah. No, I like Sarah. a lot of times I do think that. No, Wreck-It Ralph I thought was very, <laughs> it was very funny. It was it was charming. I thought the, even without the little nods to the games we all played as kids, which were great. You can take those away. It's still – it was a fantastic movie. The uh, the main character was, was great. I thought it was a, it was yeah. a wonderful – it, it, it did everything for me that I wanted Brave to do, which Brave didn't do. Yeah, I didn't even see Brave. I da- I downloaded the Wreck It Ralph game and I play I played Fix It uh, Fix It Felix on the bus <laughs> and like yeah, it's awesome. It's just I just love the world and I want to see more from it. I'm gonna wreck it. Yeah, that that was my bit. That was my one complaint about it was that it is like once they showed that whole that Grand Central Station of all video games, I'm like I want to see more video games. Like I wanted to see more of the universe. Which well, I, if it does well enough, yeah. and I think it did. Yeah, you will. Yeah, <laughs> it was interesting to read an article about how complicated it was to get all the rights to all those characters oh the, sure the, the different the, well my guy has to do, has to do something heroic and they had to switch them out and yeah. Cuba was that a was last actually, minute edition it was interesting Cuba i think was that was great. actually the cool thing about it because it wouldn't have worked as well if those had all been like Generic. nearly well they know, really the wanted games. mario and luigi but nintendo didn't understand they didn't they said that the guys that they had to deal with didn't really get the humor i, I like that mario and luigi weren't in it though i think they were going to be the big deal i think mario was going to be the cuba role Oh really? Because yeah. because I, uh, I think the Cuba roll was great because like it, this homeless you know well, unplugged yeah, Mario, so yeah that that's not, sense. yeah exactly like I I feel I feel like the characters they ended up picking were almost perfect in terms of that they were they were like yes that's Zangief but like he's not universally known you know and like and I th- I feel like you know it, you know um, having Mario Luigi that's such a a you know such it's so connected to Nintendo I like the fact that they weren't. And also, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Paperman. Oh, Paperman was was wonderful. Yeah. I think, ta- yeah. Oh yeah, one just wonderful. I was gonna just say I like that Tapper was in it. Tapper was <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> so yeah, Wreck-It Ralph was awesome. I mean, it, it was I, I was I was shocked it wasn't Pixar. That's how good it was. Yeah, <laughs> that's where we're at. Yep. But I, I wanted to quickly talk about a, a littler movie. Uh, it's a movie called Goon. Uh, you can actually go see it on um, on the on the streaming on the Netflix or the Amazon or whatever, and it's. Uh, it's about Sean William Scott as a hockey player, and I know that Stifler, you know, Stifler, yeah. Who, yeah. by the way, uh, against all of my greater comedy impulses, I find hilarious. He's very and, charming. And that, he is. He won me over uh, <laughs> in Jay and Silent Bob uh, uh, Strike Back. Yes, remember he was yeah. in the, the he loved the animals. Boy haircut. I love yep, yep, animals. yep. And then and then and then his his key scene in old school, and that was yes. really the, the moment yeah. where I was like, how could I not like this guy? Yeah. But what it's a movie written by uh, Jay Barakel, uh, who you know as that really skinny weird dude. Oh, really? He was an undeclared. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah, wrote yeah. it. He wrote it. He co-wrote it with Evan Goldberg, who is Seth Rogen's writing partner, who did uh, Superbad and, and other other things, uh, Pineapple Express, etc. The Green Hornet. But we're not going to talk about that. And it's just like a really uh, sort of funny, sweet little charming story about a guy who's not any good at anything except uh, hitting people. So he becomes a hockey goon. And uh, he, who's the guy? Who's I can't, I'm blanking on the name. Yes, Liev Schreiber plays sort of the, the ranking hockey goon, and they have like a relationship, and then the, at the end they have to fight with each other, basically. And it's, it's kind of a dumb movie, but I, I, can't, I, couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. It was, I actually really it was much it. sweeter than I thought it was going to be, and it was funny, yeah, it, too. Exactly. Like, it was just like, you, well, this, this shouldn't be any good, but it's one of those things where Netflix says that I will think it's like four and a half stars, and I was like, that's, that's unusual. Usually they're pretty close on that when they rate something really high. And it makes fun of hockey some, which is which is such a weird little world. And they're Canadians. It's just a, a fun comedy that uh, there was actually a few good comedies this year, but that's one that stood out to me. Similar to Wreck It Ralph, in that touching the nostalgia vein was Twenty One Jump Street, which was a surprise for being as funny as it was, because I saw I remember seeing the trailer and just just cringing at how bad it looked. Because you know Twenty One Jump Street was one of these seminal cop shows from our youth. It was Johnny Depp's starring vehicle, and it was about young cops and undercover in high schools and it was all very angsty and overwrought as you'd expect from a fox drama and this they, they went totally sort of goofy comedy with it and then it turned out to be really funny really sort of exciting and then you had the really unexpected johnny depp cameo as as his character who, who he said he would never play again oh i didn't know he was in it i yes. was i was trying to interrupt you to not blow that because oh, if you don't know it's coming damn it you still you still won't know it's coming. Okay, yeah. I mean, no, okay. It's, it's like well, it's, it's funny because what, what you basically says, what I've heard from everyone who's seen it, it, it is that, like, you know, actually it was really good and it was really funny. And it, That's one of those things like, yeah, it yeah. was good. I mean, yeah. whoa. Shocked. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was actually really funny and it was sort of, it wasn't, ma- it was made for people our age. Yeah. Because that, and that's key. It wasn't a bunch of, like, the, the jokes were good. The jokes were based on, on, on having, you know, they weren't super s- stupid, basically. It um, also is very deep for Twenty Jump Street fans. It references a lot of the episodes and, and real cases they worked. Did you know that stuff? Like, I, I re- you're like a autodidact. Listen, I watched that show every day after school. I did yeah, too, but I haven't watched it in twenty years. Oh, I've watched it since. They, 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 <laughs> released, they released DVDs of it. It's on Netflix. Uh, you bought the DVDs for my brother. Yeah, <laughs> I've watched those. Yeah, I, I pretty much know the intro to that show by heart. Right. When Peter Deluise goes woo. The, the, you know, uh, <laughs> the shooting in the air, the three guns. Yeah, thing. exactly. <laughs> no, this. I mean, this was made for, and I was scared of it. I didn't want to see. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw. I got it on Netflix, and but <laughs> by yourself, so, alone in the dark, just kind of. Just, he just was, and he, and he kind of like looked at the. He he t- turned his back to the TV, and he kind of looked at it sideways, and he was like, "Fine." Knees pulled up to his chest. Fine. Yeah. Just <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, it was much funny than I thought angrily. it would be. It's on my list. This next one, Ron. Yeah, I'm not sure about. You're not sure? Did you see it? Yes. Um, well, it's funny because I'm going through my list of movies, and I realize that the the majority in, in the majority of the movies that I'm talking about are either, aside from Wreck and Ralph, are you know either science fiction or time travel or something like that, like those genres that I kind of dig. I love time travel movies, and um, so I had my eye on Looper for a while, and this was the movie by I forget the guy's name, Brick guy, the director. Yeah, the the yeah. That's the, why the, that's the why I didn't Rick. see it. Yeah, I didn't like Brick at all. 
And I, sh- I shut off Brick a half an hour in. The same director, same cast. I was like, eh. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was starring in it. Bruce Willis was in it. I read all the articles about how you know, Le- that, you know, uh, Levitt plays a younger Bruce Willis and had the makeup to look like him and stuff like that. I really liked it because I just love a good time travel story. I love a good futuristic kind of setting, but in a in a near future where you can kind of relate to it. This hit, while not on, not as weird as this, this fell in the same category for me as Twelve Monkeys, where just a very cerebral time travel kind of story, also with Bruce Willis. And I just, I ended up, I just really, really enjoyed it. Like it, it was a love really strong. Monkeys. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm Looper was really good. I'm curious, Connor, why you didn't like it, but. You know. There were things about it I did enjoy quite a bit. I thought the performances yeah. were really good. I thought Joseph yeah. Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis did a good job of sort of playing each other. And great um, premise, and the whole like the whole setup, the whole creating that world. Like it didn't take it didn't take long to get me into the world. Like it explained what was happening and what what worked, what the problem was, and then we're off. It it uh. just didn't. I, I I saw it and then went to dinner afterwards and spent the dinner discussing it, and it just sort of completely falls apart. Yeah. Uh, when you when you start examining it, and the th- pr- the problem is, and that's the problem with time travel movies, and the reason why the better ones don't try to explain too much. And I yeah. think this one got into trouble trying to explain too much. Oh, I didn't think so. I didn't. Well, I also didn't think too much about it. Like yeah. it's a, you know. So I mean, the the main problem is the ending, and I don't want to get into yeah. it too much. But if the if the ending happens, then the whole movie falls apart. But it doesn't because yeah. So it it's weird. I I liked parts of it. I didn't hate it. I just yeah. didn't love it as much as I was hoping to like it. Okay, that's fair. You should have gone and seen Premium Rush instead. <laughs> That's not on the list, but, you know. Skyfall, the latest James Bond movie after three, four oh. years since, since uh, it's been a while. Quantum of Solace. This was the big Sam Mendes directed, the, the man who wears clothes better than anyone in the world, Daniel Craig starring film. And this was uh, more polarizing than I thought it would be, although I think the general... Really? Kind of, well, there's, there are certain people that just do not like it. It was like Bond nerds? <laughs> yeah, Arun. <laughs> James Robinson, Jimmy Palmiotti, people like that really <laughs> do not like it, but I love it. I'm a big James Bond guy. I own all the movies. I've seen them all. I, I watched Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace in preparation for seeing Skyfall, and I just it was gorgeous. It was beautifully shot by, I think, the Coen Brothers uh, DP shot the movie, and um, oh, shit. I thought it was great setup for the. This was the movie that really sort of established the traditional Bond status quo with Money Penny and, and the male uh, M and all that stuff, and it was, I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, this is important because this marks the first James Bond movie I've seen since Roger Moore. Wow, I'm Wait, just not I not go see any of the. Nope, I've never I've, I've never saw I've never seen a Timothy Dalton movie, a Pierce Brosnan, or any of the Daniel Craig movies. I just don't like Bond. I just don't like it. Well, what did you think of this one? Oh, that was great. I love Sam Mendes. I'm a big Sam Mendes fan. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> It's what? the best. <laughs> and um, um, I thought I agree with you. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was great. I thought it was, a, it was a good action movie. I mean, it got to be a little towards the end where I wasn't sure if I was watching a Batman movie or a Bond movie. Bond is. He's the British Batman. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Yeah, no, but, but got a little with – I mean, I thought I thought Javier Bardem was great as the villain, but it's like oh. he told me he was channeling the Joker. Okay, and then Bond goes to his – family's mansion where his old butler is waiting like it was just a little too bruce wayney but that's i think that might be i'm coming to it with our kind of filter i didn't think um, of any of them. yeah i didn't yeah I didn't. oh yeah no, i think because i think of him as bond because i've watched yeah. a lot of them yeah i mean i, I mean that, that was as soon as as soon as that scene was the the end scene was happening i was like really he has a mansion and an old butler and he's gonna like it just was a little a little much in that regard but i thought it was beautiful it was great it was fun i had a great time i had a great time watching it yeah. and they blew up the db5 i almost walked out <laughs> oh, I actually here. Here's the thing that no one ever talks about because they're like, "Oh, Daniel Craig, blah, blah, blah. fucking Judy Dench is awesome." Yes, 
Yeah. She's really awesome. I'm going to be upset that she's not going to be M anymore. Oh, and, and I got, I do got to say, I mean, like, I, I, Connor, you're absolutely right about how Daniel Craig wearing suits and, and, um, oh. and Tom Ford suits, uh, specifically. It, it was the entire subplot of the film, as far as I'm concerned. How, yeah, how, I agree. That, how the, a man can run in a suit like that and I'll, A, not get sweaty. I'll be honest. I'll be honest that, like, I kind of, I did fall for it in the opening action sequence when he jumps off the, 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 he blows the train up in half and jumps off the falling piece and jumps back onto the train and then kind of lands and fixes his cufflinks and then goes back like I was like alright that was pretty badass like, that was awesome yeah that was good I enjoyed it so. such good suits so everybody I know was very excited to go see Prometheus one way or another and I was kind of uh, eh you know I like the alien it's fine so uh, got, Prometheus got here on Netflix a, a little while ago and I watched it after hearing completely polarizing uh, some people hated it. Some people loved it, and uh, what it meant to Alien or whatever. And I, I watched it, and uh, I'll admit I probably didn't pay a hundred percent attention. I wasn't looking for faults. I quite enjoyed myself. Interesting. Uh, it was a really, really good-looking movie. From a sort of, I really liked the production design of the whole thing. I liked the scope of the whole thing. I thought the cast was was a really great cast, and it was it was a lot of fun. And and there may have been problems, but I don't think I noticed them. I have no doubt that there were things that, that people found problems with. And since then, I went, I picked up the Alien box set, and I've watched all of them again since then, and the making of all of them. And I was like, yeah, it's, it all works for me. You're an Alien nerd now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going through an Alien phase more than yeah. anything. All right, that's fair. But, <laughs> Connor, you, now, I haven't listened to that show yet. Now, you guys I, I like it like less it. than when I recorded the show. And it's, oh, I'm interesting. Just to the point now where I think it's probably the worst film I've seen in the theater in years. Wow. What yeah. now why? Like okay, but when you were sitting there like were you like Ugh, and rolling yes. your eyes at it? Yes. It was, really? Me and what? I saw, I, I don't, saw I don't... fellow I fanboy writer Mike Romo and we, we, we sunk lower and lower in our seats as the movie went on and after it was over. I don't understand at what point sat that... there in disbelief that this is what that the movie we just saw was what we Why? Saw. It it made like, no logical the sense. The characters didn't do anything that made sense it was for the for their characters. You had a bunch mm-hmm. of scientists who were walking around acting like idiots. There was That's a, true. There was there was a bunch of plot holes and logical leaps and things were never explained. You never got any sense of why anyone did anything, including the alien people that were the cause of all thing that happened in the movie. I just, I mean, I don't want to get into it too much because I did a whole fucking show about sure, it. Sure, sure. <laughs> you're right. It was absolutely gorgeous, and and Ridley Scott is incomparable in terms of who can shoot movies. But uh, I just, I it didn't you, did not like it. Do you like the alien movies in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched the Alien and Aliens in preparation for the movie. I don't really like three. I never saw four. Mm. You should watch four. Is Bill Paxton in four? He's not, and <laughs> that that to me is a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least in that role, right. I know that you and him are buddies. We're friends now. We email. It's fine. I, but I, I got to the. I, I, you know what? I guess I see what you're saying. I just did, maybe I did that mythical brain shut off thing. You could have, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly fine. And I envy you all the more for it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I did th- I did the whole time I was thinking I was like this is this is damn good looking if nothing else. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's damn good looking. Yes. Yeah, and I haven't seen Prometheus yet. I plan to watch it on DVD. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I haven't. I just been it's it, that's the one that got away. It slipped through my fingers. I just couldn't get to it. Just, so. just like a star systems. Exactly. A big surprise for me was uh Cabin in the Woods. For those who don't know, this was is that a the question? This is Cabin <laughs> in the Woods? This was um this was the Joss Whedon penned Written, co-penned. Uh, co-penned, but not directed. It's Drew Goddard, right? Drew Goddard, yeah. yeah, who 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 has written many of the Buffy comics for Dark Horse, and starring a uh, starring Chris Hemsworth and uh, that sort of thing. And it it was filmed years ago and caught in studio shenanigans and finally got released. And 
talk about a like for weeks after I saw it, I was telling people, I'm like, no, go see it because there is such a great twist to this movie. And I don't even want to give it away for people who haven't seen it. Have either of you seen it? Or? Yeah, I saw it. I've okay. seen it. Yeah, I, it was, I, mean, it, I mean, Connor, do you agree with me? Like, it was just, I mean, or did you already know going into it? Like, I thought no, it was, I, did, I didn't know the twist. Yeah. I, I stayed away from the discussions about it because I, yeah. I didn't want to know the twist. For me, I felt, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cute. I thought, yeah, it, I thought was, it was fun. It was just fun. I felt yeah. the same That's way as I, I did about, about, about Moon in that it felt like a really long Twilight Zone. Yeah, was yes. Over, which was yeah. fine. I mean, it just, I didn't blow me quite away. I mean, I've never really been blown away by. Joss most Whedon. of Joss Whedon's stuff, like most people are. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I love the That's Avengers, how I, feel. I loved Firefly. And, and well, I love well this, Angel, this, was, this was like I was dragged to it. I thought it was a horror movie. I don't like horror movies. And, like, and then it got – and it was starting so like typical. And, and, then, and then it got to a point – and Bradley Cooper well, – not Bradley Cooper. Bradley, Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford I loved that? him in the movie. I love – yeah. That was the, it was that whole – Him and, him and uh, Richard. What's his name? Yeah. Yeah, the, old, the dad from Six Feet Under. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just it was just fun and just and it was just like unexpected. Richard Jenkins, Richard, Richard Jenkins. Jenkins, yeah. No, there was a couple of scenes with Bradley Whitford that I actually rewound because I they, I thought they were so funny, but yeah. Yeah. the whole thing was okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. right. Once yeah. once the feel, reveal happened, I thought it became less compelling, but yeah, it was enjoyable. This is going to come as a huge surprise to people, but I am a big fan of NPR. What? In this American Life, in particular, I know. I mean, it's weird because I don't fit the stereotype at all. No, I went. <laughs> I went to a live This American Life once. And it was just, it was just hundreds of dudes who looked just like me. Yeah. Hey, dudes in glasses, what's up? I watched uh, Sleepwalk with me recently, uh, and this was produced by Ira Glass, and it's called, it's called uh, This American Life uh, production, and it is the dramatization of Mike Birbiglia, who's a comic who does a lot of work with them. Uh, his his story, which I've actually heard a uh, hundred times. He did, he did they, it on they, Broadway for years. Yeah, he did it as a, as a show, and yeah. they've played it on This American Life, and then rerun it, and I've, I've heard it a bunch of times, so I, I knew it really well. And it's a, it's a really small movie that they made for not a lot of money, and it's about his. It basically, it's funny because it's about the end of a relationship, uh, which is mo- the opposite of most movies, which are about the beginning and then how it succeeds. But it was about the end of a relationship, and that was overlapped with him sort of trying to starting to become a stand up comic, and then also having this sort of sleep disorder where he sleepwalks and he acts everything out that he sees in his dream which culminates with him throwing him outside the second window of a la quinta in <laughs> i saw this because a friend of mine who doesn't normally go to movies she saw it and she's like oh my god you gotta go see it and i didn't know mike Berbigula. i don't listen to this american life i don't you know like but his, um i love lauren ambrose yeah. who's in it also six feet under there you go there's a theme of the show six feet under alum <laughs> narm um, <laughs> narm but I thought this was it was just awesome, and it it kind of picks up in the rest of my movies that, that I'm gonna, I want to talk about the show. But picks up that this year I saw a large, at least for me, a, a, the the big blockbusters and stuff that we saw, you know, Avengers, Batman, all stuff like that. But I there I saw a big increase in indie movies, including this as well, some others, some that I saw at home on VOD, some that I went to small theaters for, and it was just I like, and that's what I love. Like I love the art house theaters, you know, like I love the the smaller I like the trailers. Yeah, <laughs> I love seeing art house movie trailers. Yeah. I don't know why that yeah. is. And um Reminds me of college. And so th- this was this was just a great addition to it. I mean, this, this movie had me cracking up. I thought it was yeah. really good. It was yeah. really funny. Uh, the, the other thing that I really liked about it is that I'm kind of a closet stand-up comedy fan and it really nailed uh, the sort of story of what it is to be a stand-up comedian starting out and like being on the road and and sort of that you have no idea if you're any good at it or not and or what it's going to be and and you just sort of keep doing it. Um, and I, I find those kind of stories fascinating, but yep. uh, absolutely worth it. it. You know, it's it was a small movie; it didn't play everywhere. Uh, so when it comes out on video very soon, uh, make sure to check it out. I, 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 love I think it's still on video on demand. 
Yeah, yeah I it, think it, it is. is. Yeah. It's on. You can get it on iTunes, I think now, uh, but it's not quite out on home video yet. Well, similarly, I saw Beasts of the Southern Wild at an art house theater in this little town that I spend the summer in sometimes, and they only have the one theater, so and the one the one screen, so you really have to see what they're showing. And I never heard of it before walking into it, and it was astounding in performance it's it's a it's sort of a metaphysical uh, movie about these people who live in a poor part uh, outside of new, or- new orleans and it's about how they're affected by by the storm and it's the performance by the young girl who's the who's the main character in it is just astounding if she doesn't get nominated for an oscar and she's probably like eight years old then it'll be crime her name is Quivenzane Wallace. Uh, that's probably a butchering the name, but it's she is um, the most amazing child performance I've probably ever seen from mm-hmm. someone. It's it's it doesn't really have a linear story. It doesn't really follow the traditional three act structure, at least overtly. But it's more about these sort of people just sort of living in this, and then the then the storm comes and, and the aftermath of that. But it's just sort of astounding from a performance level. I didn't love everything about it, but I did love uh, the experience of seeing it. So if you're on an indie, indie movie bent, then Piece of the Southern Wild is... I, I heard about it. I just assumed it was like a nature documentary, so I just skipped over it. Or... I didn't know any, literally anything about it, but it was not a I've never heard of it. Yeah. But she's getting a lot of awards talking, and also the guy who plays her father, he was also really good. It was, it's really interesting. I think it's, it's worth a check uh, if, you're into that, if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah. While I was there, I saw the trailer for Robot and Frank, which I wanted to see but didn't get to. Oh, uh, Robot and Frank was great. Go see it. I read, I read about Robot and Frank, and I saw it not at a – I wouldn't say at, a, at an art house theater, but it was definitely an independent, limited release, um, that sort of thing. It takes place in in the future, so I want to say it's science fiction, but it's more of a personal drama and that sort of thing. Um, Frank Langella is a great actor. He's very he, underrated. Yeah, very underrated. Everything I've ever seen him in, he's fantastic. And it's a great story about he's um, a aging gentleman who, in his previous, like in earlier in his life, he was a uh, burglar. He was like a cat burglar or that sort of thing, you know, robbed houses. And now he lives by himself on a, in a house and his um, w- one daughter lives in Africa and she, you know, doing that sort of thing. Her other, her son lives six hours away. He's all alone. Um, and so to, as he's getting older, his son gets a robot to help, you know, instead of getting like a living nurse, something like that gets a robot to help clean up the house, stuff like that, because it does take place in the future. They did a great job of, there are no hoverboards, there's no, you know, space age kind of stuff, but you get the sense that it's in the future because there are these functioning robots and the cars have little touches to make them look futuristic, but beyond that, it looks like it takes place today. But the robot looked kind of retro-y too, didn't it? Yeah, the robot was very simple and yeah, had, had a very uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of almost uh, feel to it. So he then teaches the robot how to rob houses and then they they start burglarizing things around them and there's a again there's another movie with a twist there's a twist to it at the end which I don't want to reveal because it's more of the, the emotional gut punch and that sort of thing but it was less about the robbing and less about the the future and more about like getting old and being alone and like what that means and family and stuff like that it was it was just it was it it was totally touching and it was great it was just like it, it was a, a, like every review of it it was like it, it described as a delight and all this sort of stuff and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went to go see it. And I was like, oh wow, they're totally right. It was it, Langella. Langella emoted that getting older, feeling alone kind of feeling, and like a longingness. And Susan Sarandon was in it at, as his love interest. And it was just it. It went somewhere I didn't expect. Notable. Susan Sarandon is old enough to play Frank Langella's love interest now. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So, but yeah, it was good stuff. Really good stuff. I think, and I actually ended up seeing quite a lot of movies this year. Yeah, but more I than think- more than I thought you would. 
Yeah, you're not kidding. Well, yeah. I, I, over Thanksgiving, I had a magical weekend where I saw three movies over the course of four days. Wow. Yeah, you can two, two of them with my wife. We went out and everything. Yeah. I think Argo might have been my favorite movie this year. Argo uh, might be the best movie of the year. It was great. Yeah. Uh, from, from a standpoint of I love a period piece. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love a period piece. Anytime we get out of now, I'm a big fan of that. Two, what a, what a cast we've got going here. Yeah. An absurd cast of just people who are fun to watch, and then three. I just it was it had me. I I, I don't want to say edge of my seat, but it had me you know like clinging on the whole. It was no, the most suspenseful thing I've seen. Absolutely, black right. down. People people in the theater broke out into applause several times yeah. in my showing. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing is is I think I think it's amazing that not only has Ben Affleck uh, turned into uh, an amazing director. Uh, also, apparently, he can act now. <laughs> which, well, I've always been a Ben Affleck fan. I, I think he gets go a back heart. and watch Chasing Amy and see if he's oh, still. He's, but they're that. all terrible in Chasing Amy. I, no, I, know, I know, I know, I know. He went into that hole that he went into when he became a star. Yeah, and, but uh, yeah, I know. I, I think. I mean, ever since Hollywoodland, I'm a big Ben Affleck yeah. fan. And honestly, and and I don't. I can't remember if I discussed this with you guys or not. But very interesting thing. If you take a look at Ben Affleck's last three movies directed, and Martin Scorsese's last three movies directed, Ben Affleck has a slight edge. Yeah. Yeah, because with with Affleck, it's what, what was his first movie? Was it Smoke and Aces or no? no Affleck oh. was uh, the Gone uh, Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone. I always get those two mixed up. So Gone Baby Gone and and the Town. town Scorsese wins that. The, no, no, wait. I'm sorry. Gone, Gone Baby Gone. The Departed. And I'm going chronologically. Gone Baby Gone. The Departed. Scorsese wins that. Right. The Town. Very similar to Departed, but and Shutter Island. Affleck wins that. The town was way better than Shutter Island. And then Argo versus Hugo, which while I loved Hugo, I give the edge to Argo. Affleck is having a better a better run than Scorsese. So You've worked this routine out before. I have, yeah. Because <laughs> the Argo-Hugo is the real tipping point. Argo-Hugo is great. The fact that it's four-letter words, both ending in O. Like it's, I, you don't have to explain it. And the We're, fact that the town and the departed is so close, like Boston, like it's very strange. They've, they've lived a parallel career. Well, so. I said this after coming home from the theater, and that now it becomes an event when he has a film out. Yeah. It's, it definitely does feel like that. When, when a Fleck has a film out, it's going to be an opening night thing because that's his last year films have been amazing. He's going to have a bad one. Everyone does, but... For now, his next I equally await his next project. Yeah, the Argo, you, and you're right. I mean, it's one of those films where, kind of like uh, Apollo 13 or whatever, you know the ending, you know they get out. Yeah, but you get so Good caught map. up in the story it's, and the way it's told that I was I, like, Josh, I was gripping my chair when when they it's were like in Back that, to the Future when yeah. they're in that anytime, that anytime at the end. Back to the Future is running on TV and you catch the the last few minutes, like you you know what's going to happen, you and you know what's going to happen down to the last beat, but you're still like. Yeah, <laughs> and it's also one of those films that when well, you see the trailer, you don't you don't realize it's going to be as funny as it is. Uh, Alan Arkin. The trailer actually John, made it seem like it was a comedy. Alan yeah. Arkin and John Goodman. Uh, Alan Arkin and John Goodman are just they're awesome. They're great. Yeah. Like you could yeah. put Alan Arkin with anybody, but you know, no, it was it was it was it was funny. It was suspenseful. It tied into politics. It tied into America. I mean, like people were literally yelling America at the end of it. It was just crazy. Yeah, it was good. It was great. It was great. No, I think I think Argo might be my movie of the year. Yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. Now, Chronicle. Did everyone see Chronicle? I have not. I did. Yeah. All right, interesting. Usually, we like to talk about movies we really liked on this on this list, but a I ran out of movies because we we all you guys picked all my movies, but also I wanted to talk. And you and you blame us for that. I do because yeah. I went last. I I, yeah. I blame myself for going last. But I liked Chronicle, but didn't love it as much as everyone in our sphere seemed to love it. Is it a loved thing? It seems to be a loved thing amongst the comic book community. Maybe Wait, it's it's a it's a superhero movie, right? 
Wait, um, what, what was the what was the consensus on that? I forgot because Amor yeah. Khan, the writer Max Landis was there, and he went on a tirade about what it was and what it wasn't. What was it? He was saying it was not a comic book movie. He, he that was he freaked Super. out. James Gunn said it was a, like a comic book movie, and he was like, "No, it's not." And then he lost it. Oh, my time, my time with Max Landis. So, what did you think of it, Josh? I I liked it. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was going to be. I feel like I've seen enough superpower movies now. And I've read this as a comic book a bunch of times, if that makes sense. Like the relationships between the people were kind of interesting. But the idea being that kid or person gets superpowers, drives him crazy because he's been put upon his whole life, you know, and he, and he goes bad or whatever. That is like – it's like a bunch of comics that I've read. Right. What was that last one from uh, A God Somewhere or – I'm trying to think. There was another one that came out about the same time as A God Somewhere. The Mighty. Yeah, the mighty. It's yeah. it was a little 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 along the you know, that sort of you know absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of thing. I thought it was really well done. I thought uh, I thought it was interesting. There were good characters and everything, but it wasn't like the most original thing of all time. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I felt about. It. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I I think I, th- I started my mind started to wander about three quarters of the way through it. You know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know if there was a full story there for the for the amount of time it took to tell it. Yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, it was it was okay. It was okay. It was interesting enough to watch. I, I think it's worth watching. How's that? Yeah. I feel like you feel, I think. Yeah, I think it's similar. We should hug. Okay. <laughs> um, so another uh, another indie movie and another time travel movie that I adored was Safety Not Guaranteed. This was a small limited release, and I forget the name of the guy in it and what the story, the people behind it is. But That's ba- great. Thanks. Yeah, I know. Isn't that nice? Um, <laughs> but uh, I did no prep for this at all. You've got um, a fucking handheld phone, and we just talked for three minutes. I just think I got the other one I talked about. Uh, I, was, I was looking at porn. No. Um, so, yeah, so this is written and directed by nobody that I know. It was written by Derek Connolly, directed by Colin Trevorrow. Um, Aubrey Plaza stars in it. And Jake Johnson from New Girl, who who's one of my favorite people on New Girl, is in it. And um, basically, it's it's a Jake Johnson is a magazine writer, and he there's a story where he uh, somebody put a one ad in the Seattle area looking for a partner to travel through time with me. And so Jake Johnson and Aubrey Plaza, who's an intern at the magazine, go to this town where this guy is, and they send Aubrey Plaza in, like kind of quote unquote undercover to meet the guy. She's responding to the ad, and you meet this guy who. It might be crazy or might not be crazy and he's building a time machine and he thinks people are chasing him and all this stuff and you get to know him and she builds a relationship with him and you find out that there was a accident in his past and he's very specific about when he wants to go back in time because it's right before the accident and he claims that his, he claimed that his girlfriend died in the accident but then they go and they find the girlfriend and she's like no I, yeah there was an accident but I'm fine and and it layers in all this stuff about kind of you know human condition and 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 past mistakes and regrets and wanting to go back and change things and it was just it was just it was great it was a blast it was really really good and in that kind of comedic romantic you know kind of indie film kind of way quirky kind of way but uh with that sci-fi time travel twist i mean it was it was really good so i if you guys haven't seen it yet i would it's up on amazon now you can watch it on amazon it's a video it's really good i would say if you would ask me uh, a, a little ways back hey josh are you are you excited about about the prometheus movie and i would have said i are you excited? You must be excited about the Batman movie. Hey. Avengers? No. Uh, there was a little movie that came out called Lincoln that was directed by Steven Spielberg that starred Daniel Day Lewis as Abraham Lincoln. And I would say that was the thing I was the most excited about. <laughs> and then I would follow up by saying, Well, I know that I said some very good things about Argo before. 
I want to see this a couple of hundred more times <laughs> because I would like to watch Daniel Day-Lewis and I would like to watch, again, you're seeing a theme, Ron likes, Ron likes time travel. I like period pieces. Right. <laughs> There were a lot uh, of mo- there were a lot of movies set in the 19th century this year. I was reading that article uh, in Entertainment Weekly where it's like the 19th century is coming up big. I mean, you got Les Mis, Django Unchained, Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> like there was a whole litany of movies. Uh, I, lo- I Anna love Karenia, it. Anna Karenina. It fascinates me. Yeah. What is there to say about Lincoln? Uh, I'm I was really glad about the the fact that it was not a a, a biopic and instead it was uh, four months basically. Uh, and when you know what's going to happen which if you're American, you damn well should. So uh, it's really interesting that sort of time crunch that everything was under. But overall, this was I thought it was really interesting that this was a movie about politics. It was a movie about politics that were m- more divisive and, and more ugly than, than even we have now. That was fun to watch the scenes in Congress. Absolutely. And, and, and you parallel them to what's happening now and you go, okay, well, maybe things aren't so bad right now. I mean, it's just as bad in Parliament, but that's beside the point. <laughs> They, everybody said everything that could be said about about Daniel Day Lewis. I don't think anybody doubted that he was going to be. Oh, it, uh, it, it was riveting. amazing! It was amazing. He was. Yeah. A, it was. It was. It, that, that's shocking. I mean, like it was just. It was mind blowing how yeah. it dialed into the character and into the mannerisms and the look and the speech and everything like that. It's just like there's the kind of actors where you're like, oh, that's that actor playing this person, and then Daniel Day Lewis becomes the person, and it's yeah. and it's so true, and it's oh, it was great. The way you I know, described I, it was it was as good as Bill the Butcher, but. In, in the opposite way, and yep. Bill yeah. Butcher was loud and scenery chewing. Lincoln was inward and quiet, and he kept yep. his head down the whole time, and he looked at his feet. And it was the, the performance was as good. It was just not as showy. It was. About, I um, mean, it it was the it was the. I mean, for me, it would all boiled down to like him telling the Ethan Allen story, yeah. or like the scene with the, every both of those scenes in the telegraph room were just. Well, like, the thing yeah. is that uh, people people know who Lincoln is because he's on the $5 bill and he's on the penny and, and that, but they don't, most people don't really know anything about him. Yep. And so you have an idea of, of this man who is a, a monument, who is a statue basically to everybody. And what he was, was a really sort of conflicted, hyper, hyper intelligent guy. Uh, but he was, he was really funny. Like that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't ever think about people from, from then, antiquity yeah. being funny, but he was a funny guy and he would use humor and he was, you know, he would build constituencies and, uh, uh and all of that stuff is based in fact, and and what there wasn't in fact, they they you know built in things that that felt real about it, and and I you know I could I could just watch that all day, and I, I, just, I, just, I, I, love, I love the fact that he was a funny guy. I love, and the then at the same time there was there was like conflict in his personal life, you know, like his wife was crazy, but also she kind of had a reason to be, uh, and you know in the midst of that, and in the background you have that that feeling of of how painful everything that was that was going on. You know, Virginia is not that far from Washington, D.C. It's basically in there, and this is all happening right outside the door. Every single thing that they know is on the line. We're we're Uh, not, we're almost, I almost forgot that the highlight of the entire fucking movie was James Spader. Running. Oh, James Spader, (laughs) mustache running. Mustachio, James Spader. I mean, the cast was amazing. I mean, James Spader, Michael Stuhlbarg, who I love, who we'll talk about later on. His, uh... The, the James Spader trio, which was which were all three great. There was uh, it was uh, t- uh, what's this? I can't think of their names now. Well, what, before you get to that, I thought one of the things that was nice was the little touches about life. Then the fact that it was yeah. winter time, and so they all had to wear blankets and house coats because it was yeah. cold. Yeah, and they didn't have heating in the White House, or the fact that you could just walk into the president's office. Off. Well, the that's. Street. I was going to say that. I love that they factored that in that they had public days where like you could just go to the White House and and bitch to the president about well, something, and he'd. No, he'd that- yeah, and that was true. They, and they yeah. they had no, there was no secret service. There was no security. People would come and they would line up and they would petition. And that didn't change. Yeah, 
after that didn't change for for forty years after Lincoln was killed. That's what people don't understand. Yeah, like through through the eighteen hundreds. You sound you know, like you sound like Kevin Bacon and JFK. I love it. <laughs> they got to know. People got to know. T- Tim Blake Nelson. I was yeah, going to say, and uh, it just I mean, what a cast. Like, we I can, mean, and honestly, that was representing the modern day lobbyists. Mm-hmm. Like that's oh it was oh it was great I was uh, every everything was I mean and Strathairn uh, Stray was great Jared um, Harris as yeah. Mrs. Grant yeah Ugh. yeah I mean the movie I mean I mean we I mean we we joke coming out of it I think you guys thought I didn't like it or whatever because me because we were kidding you know calling it C-SPAN 1865 and there's a lot of talking but yeah but- I'm I'm a I love history and it, it was I mean it, it I mean it was great it was, to see the I was I was a little sad to see that the 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 representative from New York was so against the amendment yeah, yeah, i was yeah. like i was like you new york's bastard. new york's been a problem all along new york was that, against right? the revolution they were against the amendment yeah. Yeah. they were yeah, yeah. yeah. i know well, i just i was glad that genie boulet had had such a positive impact wait genie boulet out of nowhere yeah genie boulet ended slavery yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah lincoln was great no I, I don't often say this because you know this day and age it's hard to see movies in the theater and expensive and people are annoying etc but you have to see life of pi in the theater i came out of it and the first thing i said was uh, it was astounding visually it is you have to see it in the theater. You have to see it in 3D. And I don't often say that either. But it's it's an it's angly directed film from a great novel I read many years ago when it came out. But, and, you know, if you recall from when Angley did Hulk, when he played with the visual look of Hulk and he didn't yep. shoot like a regular film. And he's done that a lot of his films. This was completely him playing with the visual look of this movie and everything from the color to the layers. He, he, he took the layers in the 3D. And it, I saw people describe it as the most uh, 3D intensive movie since Avatar. And that was really the first one the first major one of uh, the modern era. He plays with the layers of the screen. It, it's not just you know him shooting a movie and converting it. He actually shot it with, with 3D in mind. And if you want to see this movie at all, it is a must-see on the screen. And it is unusual in that it's a film about mostly Indian people. And it's a major American film. And, uh, and it's a film uh, about a boy on a shipwreck with a tiger. And, it, uh, and all the stuff that happens from there. And it, it's just wonderful. This is supposed to be one of those unfilmable films. I read the book. I thought, you know, this is this, there's no way you could ever make this into somebody. They do, and it, it's it's amazing. It's one of the best movies I saw this year. Cool. Well, all right. Then. So those are all the movies, the the highlights of the movies that we like that we enjoyed. Yes. Um, it was like a, it was a weird year for movies. I felt. I, I don't know. It's like I didn't. I don't think I saw as many. I didn't do the count, but I don't think I saw as many as I did last year. I saw more indie movies, but then I feel like it was over. You know, overwhelming those with the blockbusters and the comic book movies. I saw stuff. a lot of revivals, so stuff yeah. that wouldn't be on this list. You know, like yeah. I saw Singing in the Rain a couple weeks ago, and it was fantastic on the big screen. But you know, <laughs> who? Are you? I, wait, no, I, I actually really like Singing in the Rain, too. <laughs> and I hate everything. So. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Fucking Donald O'Connor, man. He All is. Right. Um, The crowd loved him. Oh, yeah. he, he was amazing. All right, so moving on oh, through the years. Did over- you know that Gene Kelly shot that whole Singing in the Rain main title sequence well, with 103 like dying, Fever? Yeah. Also, he's a tyrant. So over the six years that we've been doing iFanboy, us being a podcast, we've been very t- tiled into the podcast world. Or were until previously. Well, I was just going to say, I feel like a theme <laughs> is that the, the whole podcast thing is really kind of puttered. <laughs> I, I think know. people have gotten into their trenches. And, yeah, now, exactly. and now finding new podcasts is a war of attrition. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to find a new podcast necessarily. So I'm not really for looking one. for them. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm saying. You've got the ones that you listen to. And if they're still going, well, well, good. And every once in a while, one of them will end, yeah. and I'll be like, 
That's a little free time I got back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's funny is that like I've really I really dug in and I just listened. I pretty and we've talked about it over the past couple of years. Like I was looking through my podcast app on my phone and I was like, I you know I I only added one new podcast this year and that was uh, Washed Up Emo, which is really niche and really specific, <laughs> which is features interviews with people who were in emo bands in the late nineties. So <laughs> it's wow. But, but as it, did you commission this podcast? No, no it wasn't even. It's uh, yeah, it was it's done by I, it's done by a guy um, who. You know the guy I, behind it. Well, now I do. I, I found out about the podcast first, and then I, then we met up in New York, and he's based out of New York, and and it's I mean, and it's fun. I mean, it's it, there, as we when we get down to talking about music, I'll talk about how this was a, a year of a lot of uh, reunions and bands getting back together. So he's really kind of capitalized that smartly enough, and talked to you know he's talked to some you know talked to guys in Braid and Texas the Reason and like these cl- you know Jealous Sound, Game Face, like these classic late nineties bands. Uh, but it's just fun to hear about like what the the touring experience was and and what that world was like and how different it is than it is now so it's it's a fun it's not on a regular schedule it doesn't really you know like he comes he puts out interviews when he does them but it's a lot of fun to listen to and if you're in that kind of music it's like almost a must listen to yeah but i do guys say we talked about it last year but throughout the rest of this year i don't think a source of entertainment across the three of us for the majority of the year even though i think josh is sour on it now i don't uh, think i'm the only one no Mike and Tom eat snacks. Mike, Michael Ian Black and Tom Cavanaugh's uh, snack review podcast continued to amuse me this well, year. We, we talked about it a lot last year when we basically discovered it and, and it was yeah. good reason. What I think happened this year was they lost their deal with Comedy Central, who was producing it, which no one knew. And then they went rogue. Yep. On their own doing it. And I think the show has lost a lot of its luster since that's happened. Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely lost the schedule. Like, as they've gotten work, they well, just not didn't even the do schedule. I just know, think it's not, it's as, not as good as anymore. Yeah. yeah. It still makes me laugh. I listen to it when no, I'm. I, and, okay, and, you finish and I'll talk. There's always something. I'm just, a, I'm a huge Michael Ian Black fan. And I, and I think part of it also, I think Tom Cavanaugh is kind of, he's trying a little too hard sometimes, but I, I can listen to Mike Ian Black do anything, as we'll talk about a little later. But, um, you know, it's, it's it, it, it just always, and I like to talk about food. They don't talk about the food. That's sure, that's a good point. That's a the good last point. few of them, I'm looking, I'm a half an hour into it, and they yeah. haven't said what it is or what they're going to do. And I think that one of the strengths of the show always was it was funny and that they would go on to off track, but then the core of it really was that they were doing a thing and they were actually focused you know, on they were thing. being serious about it. Everything they said about it was a real thing. Yeah. And now it is very much an afterthought. And I think, I think that they had a better producer before. I don't think they have. A, I don't think they have one now at all. They don't. No, they right, don't. That's what I'm saying. And and there's no. There's not raining it in. It's just free form. And you can see the difference of of having a little bit of shape to something that seems like it's free form to something that actually is. Yeah. And I, I like. I'm at the point now where like I'm like shut up and get to it. Like I want to shut it off. Yeah. I like when they talk about the snack. I like when they go off on tangents that revolve around that snack. But this thing that's gone on for over an hour of them being on the run and making the same joke over and over and over and over and over again that wasn't funny. Killing me. I'm yeah. sorry. That yeah. was although, although we we do have to we do have to acknowledge that many of our uh, bits and stuff like that earlier in the year came you know are yeah, the but they came from they came from yeah. last year's show. Though. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no. I think I think you guys are under. I mean, I, there was the the beginning of the year it was strong, and then it's it's kind of I could see the taper off. But you're you're uh, you're uh, you're over. I think you're I overstating it. I think you're overstating it. The, I've the, been enjoying it. Yeah. Although it doesn't come out very often. So it's true, yeah. I think that hurts too. We all know consistency is the best thing for that. So um, anyway, yes, yeah, so that's it in the world of podcasts. One thing we we made clear over the years is that we are not gamers. Well, it's it's gotten to the point now where I play video games on one day a year. 
Well, that, the thing is, I was we were, we were prepping the show. April thirteenth. We were prepping the show, and you know, we go through the list of things we want to talk about, and we got to video games. And I looked, I looked around, and I don't have a system. I don't have a console in my apartment. And I looked at my phone, and I, I think there was maybe twenty minutes in there where this year I played Angry Birds, and that would pretty much be my all my video games. I haven't. I don't got think to that, you got to that one. You're like, this is hard. I, I don't think I played a single video game for more than a half an hour. This, of course, the yeah. entire year. So that is yeah. where I'm at. I, I I really didn't dust off my Xbox at all this year until Thanksgiving weekend. I actually I went out and bought Lego Batman two and I played that just because I wanted something to do on my year on the day after Thanksgiving when I play video games. But then I actually um I actually uh, I was at the gym and I ran out of things to watch, so I was uh, on Netflix and I watched the uh, the documentary Indie Game the movie. Which is a great documentary. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. It's it's basically a documentary tracking um, these indie game producers, and it focused on uh, the game Braid and the game Super Meat Boy, and then the game Fez. So I watched this documentary, and then I was like, oh, and like I knew about Braid, and I knew about Super Meat Boy. One of my friends who's a gamer was like, yeah, don't play Super Meat Boy. That's not for you. Uh, <laughs> but this movie, this this game Fez was really kind of curious because it was like in the movie, the kid was like, this kid designed it and announced it in like 07 and then won a design award in 08, and, but the game still hadn't come out and it just showed, you know, like still hadn't come out. By the end of the movie, the movie wraps up, I think, at the end of 2011 and it's like Fez still has not come out. And so it's like this kind of vaporware kind of thing. But so I was like, oh, kind of curious. I'm like, oh, did he ever come out with that game? And I looked it up online and it turns out it came out this past April. So I went to my Xbox Live Arcade and I, you know, pay, down, paid the 10 bucks and I downloaded it. And this game is fantastic. And the reason why it's fantastic is because it's like perfect for a non-gamer old person like me where nobody is shooting at me. No one's yelling. No one's yelling. Like literally all the game is is that it, there's this little guy, Gomez, who's this little white guy and he get and he lives and he's little, it's kind of 8-bit and all 16-bit and when you load it, it has a lot of uh, sound effects I recognize from like in television and so, the video game systems I had in the 80s and he lives in this 2D world and it's a very flat, you know, flat kind of 2D side-scroller world and then he gets this fez and he puts this fez on and all of a sudden the world goes all different colors and he he realizes he actually lives in a 3D world. And so the interface is really unique in that what you can do is you walk around and then you hit the right trigger button and the whole screen rotates 90 degrees. And all the levels are kind of these towers and you can – and you walk to the edge of it and you rotate and then you can walk through the other edge of it and it's this really kind of 3D kind of interface. And all you have to do is run around and collect these yellow cubes. That's all you have to do. <laughs> And there's like there's like rainbows and there's like new agey kind of music and it's like bling 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 you know and like you never die you jump off and you 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 fall you die and then you just regenerate where you where you jumped and so it's like there's no lives and it's just like and I seriously can I tell you the past since Thanksgiving I've like sat on the couch and zoned out for like a half an hour and just played this game and I haven't been more calm than ever like it's great it's a it's a beautiful experience it's, it's so. hot then. <laughs> it might be. It might be. <laughs> but yeah, so I like it. It's just very calm. Nobody, like I said, nobody yelling, nobody shooting. Fez. I am not a gamer. However, there are a few games that I actually do play. I've played every Mass Effect, uh, and that came out in March of this year, and I don't buy them when they come out because they're $60, and if you wait four months, then they're $20. So I bought because I'm cheap. And so I, I picked up Mass Effect about a month ago. I was jonesing to play a game. Like at one night, I was just like, man. I really have to write this script, but I'd really rather play a video game. Hey, it's so. a story of the comic book industry. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how I know that I'm meant to be here. <laughs> so I, I picked up Mass Effect 3, and then the, the side of this is if you're a gamer at all, then you probably know that there was a big brouhaha about this game and the ending. is the ending of a trilogy. This is one of those big watershed games for the for the games industry, I think. Was it a letdown? It wasn't to me. <laughs> it was fine. I don't know what anybody had. I don't maybe this is like this is a year where I don't give a shit about dumb shit. Cuz that's that's maybe that's what it was like. Uh the game was fun. It played just like the games did before it. Uh there's a story, there's a bunch of characters you've gotten to know since I'm going to say 2006, like I or maybe maybe later, but you know, I I played all three of them. Played uh Knights of the Old Republic before this, which were the ones that these were basically based on the sort of game mechanics of them. And uh I liked it a lot. I liked it just as much as I liked the other ones. Um, you know, it is fun to sort of spend, uh, you know, every couple of nights for a couple hours for a couple of weeks, uh, you know, going through this whole world and, and finding out what happened to the end of this. And, and I, I purposely didn't act, I didn't look up what everybody was so mad about. I, I knew it was something to do with the end. And I know that they made changes. So the version that I got at the end, you know, it had been modified. They, they changed it and added some things on. But it's, it was really interesting. So then after I finished it, I went and I read up about it. And people were really, uh, they just felt let, let down by the concept of the ending, which is funny is how people talk about this in a way that, that I don't think of games. Like I don't connect with games the same way that everybody, like I, I play through it and it's fine. When the new Grand Theft Auto comes out, I'm going to play that because I've played all of them and I like them. But, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was for me, like I'm, I'm connected enough that I kept wanting to go back and play. I played, you know, all three of them. And they're basically the same thing. Were you inside a snow globe? No. No. Is that a new thing? Because I don't even have a connect. Were you not really dead, but in a shower? No, it's not like that. I think it's that... Was it all a dream? Were you with your wife from your old sitcom? The problem is that the whole game is based on choices. And you either build up points towards being a paragon or a renegade. Good guy or bad guy. And by the way, I am unable to pick the bad guy choices. Like whenever there's like, do you want to shoot him in the head or help pay for his children? I'm like, pay for the children. I can't, I can't not choose the good guy option. And the idea is that at the end, all of those things that you've you've, and that that's supposed to affect what things come up in the game later. And and at the end, none of that matters. That's basically the problem that people had, was mm. that this thing's the the, the ending part is going to happen one way or another, and you can't really control it. Which I think is sort of fitting because, you know, we're all going to end up in a box anyway. So fuck it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well done. Wow. Well done. That's a good place uh, to stop, I think. But I actually did I did rent a few games here and there and, and nothing sucked me in. The only other one that the only one that I want to play right now is Assassin's Creed three because apparently it takes place in the Revolutionary yeah, War. Yeah, it looks actually it looks really interesting, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna wait till that one ends up twenty bucks. I'm gonna buy that one too. Now yeah, I lied that's... earlier in the show when I said that the movie segment was our favorite segment. I think it's probably this one. Yeah. We're t- yeah. TV's gotten good. We watch a lot of TV, and I got to tell you, the the highlight of my year in TV probably has been Boardwalk Empire. You um, got a gun. You it, got a gun. Uh, you got a gun. Everybody got guns. Well, the thing is, is like we talked about it. We I know we talked about it last year. Like I love this show because it's like I love Steve Buscemi, and I love you know I love history, and I love you know gangsters and all that sort of stuff. And there's little things about it. The guy who plays Lucky Luciano and Mike Michael Stolberg as as Rothstein and all that stuff. But after the second season, it kind of had an ending. You know, like it told a story and we saw, you know, and, and Michael Penn's character had an arc and the kind of thing. And so going into it, I was a little nervous. I was a little, I don't know. And a friend of ours um, who works down in L.A. for HBO told kind of, you know, a couple of weeks before the show came out. And he's like, oh, it's good. And he's like, and not only is it good, keep an eye on Bobby Cannavale. Yeah. 
And I, well, we've all been Bobby Cannavale fans for a long time. Yeah, since Will and Grace. Uh, but, yeah. but no. Yeah, that was the first time <laughs> I watched Will and Grace. When Bobby Cannavale was on, it was great. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was really good. I like how you pronounce him like some sort of Italian cured meat. That's how you pronounce his name. I've, I've always heard it. You say Cannavale? No, it's Cannavale. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I remember him, I, I fell in love with him on the, on the station agent a really long time ago, and then he was great on Six Feet Under and all sorts yeah. of other things. He's but great, he's great, he's great. Never like this. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was I don't that. know, they made him grow a foot, and he put on like 50 pounds, and not in a bad way, yeah. but in a, to be, like, he should be the bad guy and everything. His hair, like yeah. everything, down, like every detail, and that's why I love this show, and like, and what uh, a friend of mine was talking about Boardwalk Empire and didn't like it because thought it was too slow or whatever, I'm like, no, but every Sunday I get an hour-long movie. Yeah. That's how I look at it. The attention to detail and the stuff that happens in it and the stories and they're just like I love the 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 new the showgirl that Nucky was with and I I saw her immediately I was like Ron's going to love her. Oh, I loved her. Big, big fan of uh Nucky's right-hand man, the Irish guy. I think he's great. So I mean like her. Every, every every character is just so good and every week it's like I don't know what's going to happen and sometimes it's slow sometimes it's not it, was, it picked up at the end and was just to the point where I like I could not wait a week couldn't this was uh, now you didn't watch Justified but no. Connor you're going to know yep. what I'm talking about this was season 2 of Justified yeah this was this was the season they went full gangster like before it was it was partially gangster it was partially about his family and his wife prohibition and, and this yeah. was full gangster this was yeah. we're going we're going full on into the crime side and and as you said, uh, Jip Rossetti, who was the character Cannavale played, was so compelling that you didn't know what he was going to do at any given moment, but it all made he sense. He was the butcher. Yeah, and he so you couldn't, watch. you couldn't take your eyes off him. And I remember watching him with like fin- my fists clenched because it was so tense, you didn't know. Anyone, anytime, he could murder yeah. and horribly murder them and it, for any given reason in any given situation. And you'd not see it coming. And, and so yeah. you never knew what was going to happen with him, and it was always super tense. And he was fantastically compelling. And not even talking about Richard, the uh, Two-Face character who is, is who is similarly compelling and that you don't know what he's going to do in any given yep. moment, including yep. and up to the finale. Which... Well, and, 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 and for me, <laughs> yeah, and for, and for me I, like, I, I love – like I said it last year. I'll say it again. I want a show with Rothstein and Lucky Luciano. Like I, I couldn't, and, and and now I understand that less is more, and that's yep. the you know that kind of thing. But like every time they're on screen, it's not long enough. I can't get up. The way the dude playing Lucky Luciano flares his nostrils, and just like and and in the way and like and every and Al Capone too. That, that's my one complaint is that the Chicago stuff. I like that it was still present, and I like that they pulled Capone right. back into what was going on Atlantic City. And while I love what's his name, um, the the old um, the the Prohibition agent who uh, was on the run and now in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Shannon. I love. Well, I love him as an actor and his character. That was the only storyline that felt uncon- disconnected. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't feel like it was missing no. anything. Like before, I was like this. That I thought his his parts were kind of dragging it down. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, what I'm, yeah. I, while Capone was uh, a ton of fun. The moment that he had at the end of yes. the second to last episode when he shows up yep. and you're just like, whatever the line was, you know, let's get something to eat. We're going to talk about who I, I, need, I, yeah, I need a shower. I need to get something to eat. I need to take a shower. And then we're talking about who dies. <laughs> I was I, I like like yeah. that was and then it goes to credits. And my, my eye, I was like, oh, yeah, no, it wasn't. the car. Oh. Didn't I text you yes. that or the next day? I'm like, did you see that? It was, <laughs> <laughs> this is the it show really that was. Monday Ron and I spend all day and I am talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Who, it was it was an amazing season. Talk about who and, dies. And I, like I really liked it before, but I didn't love it. But I loved this season. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was. I just really everybody. I, I when the show started, I didn't like Eli Nucky Thompson's brother. I didn't like the 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 guy the, the guy who laughs the Derby. By the end of the season, I love everyone. Every moment of this show is just wonderful. Uh, it's so good. Uh, yeah, 
the thing about Treme is I don't feel like anybody talks about it. No, no one does. Maybe that's because they can't pronounce it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Remember we were calling it Treem before it came out? Yeah, Treemy. It's so good. It's really, really good. And, and, and which shouldn't come as any kind of surprise because, you know, this is, this is the people who brought us The Wire, which is, you know, one of the best shows ever made, uh, one of my favorites of all time. But, uh, like, the more that I, every time, I, and I'm surprised every time I watch Treme. Like, wow, this really is very good. It's a show where the deeper you get into it, the better it gets because the yeah. characters are get, become more real. There's no real driving plot. It's about five or six yeah. different storylines that they interweave at times, but for the, it's mostly just about these characters and following them. It is one of those things like you don't really care so much what happens next as you just want to hang out with these people and watch what they're doing. Right. And then at the same time, uh, it's a show that I think uh, there's no other show that mixes in music in the same way. No. It's almost a musical. Yeah, really compelling, wonderful music. It's not even the kind of music that I listen to, but to watch it actually get performed and... and there was a quick. There was a scene where um, where Steve Zahn's character goes to visit Fats Domino, and and he and he sits on the on the couch and he sings Blueberry Hill to him just in a room, on a couch. And I was like, that's amazing. Even even as as not a piece of fiction, but a piece of just filmed, right, a, 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 an event taking place, just yeah. a, a moment. I'm not a big New Orleans jazz fan, but I love all yeah. the musical segments. Yeah, I, I love them. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't fast forward through the credit sequence. I don't. I mean, I, I love all of it. You never fast forward. Are there any shows you fast forward? There's, there's, there's only about three or four I don't. Yeah. But uh, this is one of them because I think, I think the music is so important to the show. Yeah. I, I think it's hard for me to say. I, don't, I can't think of, you know, it is just wonderful cast members all over the place. And I, I don't know. I, I don't even so much. It's not the plot. It's just it's sort of that area and that, that place and those people. And I don't know why, but Steve Zahn isn't even annoying. And he should be because he seems really annoying. <laughs> but it, no, it's a great show. He's sort of like the fly that's annoying, but that's, that's his character. Yeah. Okay, but wait. I am not done with the first season of this yet. Okay. I have three episodes to go, and I'm deadly serious. Do not fuck this up for me. <laughs> Homeland, <laughs> Homeland won the Emmy for Best Series. It won the Emmy for Best Actor. It, it, for, it for won every actors. award there could ever be. Um, I mostly <laughs> only want to talk about season one, A, to ruin it for Josh, but B, because w- <laughs> season two has been a little rocky. But season one, when it, and I'm not going to spoil it, but season one was the show that, more than any other show, it was a show where I had to see it. You know, you know, when, you know, Sunday nights, all the shows are on, Breaking Bad and, and Mad Men and Portal Empire. This was the show I had to watch first because I had to know what was going to happen next. And especially as Josh, you can tell from the sound of his voice, towards the end of the season, yeah. it, it ratcheted up that tension where you, you had going, to see ah! Yeah. So in terms of, of compelling thriller, this is like the more realistic version of 24 in a way in terms of the type of storytelling and the and the acting is just a wonderful between the three main characters lieutenant winters claire and 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 then uh inigo montoya that's the thing that's the great thing about the show is that you could just go oh there's inigo montoya there's there's winners and there's Inara from Firefly. So you haven't cool. you haven't actually talked to me about this, Josh. I was I'm curious I haven't. I only started watching it a few days ago because right. I, I like I've had the I've had the first disc at the top of my Netflix queue for literally a month, and it's always like the very long wait disc, mm-hmm. and it finally came. But the great thing is the second disc is never very long wait because you're waiting for it because people just have it sitting at home. Um, so the second disc came right away. We just finished the second disc literally before I came to record this, and so we just found out that the one guy is not dead, but he's actually alive. Right, and I lost my shit. I was like, <laughs> "Oh!" And I haven't done that since that episode of Boardwalk Empire we were talking about. Right, even so, that's very rare. And it, you know, it's the same thing. Like, I didn't know what it was at all. Uh, yeah. All I know is that I have a very strong affinity for uh, Damian Lewis yeah, because he played Dick Winters, who's you know 
one of my favorite characters of all time who's a real person. And I think, and this is a theory I have, that if you have watched Band of Brothers, it makes this show all the more... Unsettling. I was going to say unsettling, but compelling because you have... It really helps lock in the idea of this main character, this one Marine guy, is he must be a good guy because he's solidified in your head as the best guy ever uh, from watching that other thing. The opposite of that is I watched Band of Brothers recently and I was worried that it was going to bleed over and affect that, but it didn't. So that was no, good. No, because he's so good. But uh, it's, it's so compelling. I knew watching it right away, Josh, that you would love it. I even think that Ron would because it has a lot of things that you, that he like. Yeah, uh, you like, like, you like, like Claire Danes. Claire Danes, you like Twenty Four. It's similar yeah. to that, and yeah, the first. Yeah, season, no, I know. I, it's yeah, it's on the list. It's some someday I'll get to it. The first season okay. in particular. The, the 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 problem with this show, and it's the problem with the American television model, is that this show can't go on forever. Yeah, I think they're 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 in that growing pains in the second season of not quite sure how to make this continue. Well, they must have they must have not thought they had a shot. Well, we'll just make it really good, and then they get to the end of the first season. And they're like the guys from Lost, like, "Oh, this happened to them too. Shit, what are we doing?" Yeah. So, but Home- Homeland season one is still, I think, one of the best seasons of TV from top to bottom I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm shocked to see this next one under Ron's name. Well, yeah. So, so, so what What's people don't what people don't realize is that uh, so in addition to you guys, uh, my sister and I actually actively talk about television, and television is a large part of our life. It's a you big, have a sister, yes, and it's one one of the I, I try to find things that we have in common and and augment them and television is one of them and for years now literally two three years she and my brother-in-law have been yelling at me to watch modern family now as josh and connor can attest i have a rational opinion sometimes no and and sometimes my irrational opinions around media are because of there's a certain actor or somebody in it that that is you know that that is in it that i don't like charles groden for example i don't like midnight run because i don't like charles groden best movies of all time now all time yes it's my top 10 Anyway, so one of those people on my uh, irrational shit list is Ed O'Neill. Uh, be- crazy. Because I'm not – I was not – I did disliked greatly Married with Children in the 90s. In, in Dutch? The 90s. Um, I've never seen Dutch. I've avoided things that Ed, Ed O'Neill did. I just thought Married with Children was lowest common denominator and I, I lumped him in Fair. with it and all this stuff. So when Modern Family came out, I was like, whatever, no, not for me. And then, um, and then my sister, my brother-in-law were on about it. Some of my friends, some old coworkers were just raving about it and loving it and that sort of thing. Me, last and, year on this show. Yeah. yeah. And so finally, my sister bought season one on DVD and gave it to me and dared me to watch it. So I'm like, all right, I'll give it a watch. And this is the moment where I say, okay, you're all right. I was wrong. This <laughs> show is fucking genius. It's, it, it's very, very funny. I watch, I've caught, I'm current now. I'm, I, caught, I watched all three seasons this year. I'm current on season four. And um, everything you've ever said is correct. And so egg on my face, I was wrong. The show's How great. How good is that kid? The, oh, the, uh, who? Which kid? Manny. Oh, I love Manny. Love that was him. The, that was, well, that was the moment where I, I, I'm actually going to say I don't, want, I don't tend to watch new sitcoms because I just assume they're all crappy. Yeah. And I caught like a scene where he was talking about something and acting like an old man. I was like, yeah. that kid's brilliant. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I, I, I think Manny, I, mean, I like everybody. I mean, I love, yeah. I love Cam and Mitchell. They're hysterical. I love the, the episode, the season one episode when um, Cam dressed up like the clown for the first time. Yeah. And <laughs> when they're at the gas station and they're on their way to somewhere and, and Cam just pulls out the enormous clock and goes come on relate <laughs> just like the, the commitment to the joke and just like and while i found the dad i forget his character's name phil phil dumphy kind of annoying at beginning now he's fucking hysterical yeah, yeah. and it's just you know it's i think and every what's great is how do you see, like ed o'neill and he's pretty good 
He's good. <laughs> He's a great actor. Yeah. Yep. So, the, so I was wrong. This season, I think it's all about the other son, the other young guy. I think. Oh, Luke. He's great. He Luke is a is, subtle Luke's character. Has really come around in the last yeah. season. He's a subtle comedy to him that is really, really good. Yeah, so he's yeah, kind so, of like a subtle genius. They've been playing yep. that up this season, where he's sort of been manipulating everyone yeah, by yeah. playing dumb, and that's something they didn't really yeah. do before. And and not that not that she's necessarily funny or not, but I really like the middle daughter because she's precocious. Like I just like that. Like she, like there's a, like there's a likable quality to pretty much everybody on the show. Yeah, they, they go for that in TV. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's a good show. That's good. Yep. Yeah, so I'm I came around. He, I had a thing with Hurdy Rock. Where they weren't putting it on Hulu anymore, and so I stopped watching it because yep. I was annoyed. Because I was like, I paid for Hulu, I only watched like three shows, but then it showed up on Netflix like three months later, so it was cool. And I burned through the last season, which brings me completely current. I think this show is still really, 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 really funny. Yes, I, I can't. I don't know if I half funny. I have my problems with it. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want anything to do with Tracy or Jenna. Yes. But oh God. Yes. No. I can't, I can't take it. But it doesn't matter because. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, but Alec Baldwin and Tina Fey keep getting funnier. Yes. And it doesn't matter how ridiculous they make it or whatever they're doing. It doesn't. It doesn't. The funniest thing that happened to me this year, it was one of those moments where like, I, I cracked a rib uh, recently and I, it hurt to laugh. And I watched the episode where he just, he decided to get him talking about he decided to spin off Cable Town to making couches. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the, 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 the shitty couch. And then when she sat down at it the first time, and he started to explain, like, oh, it's cutting off air circulation and blood. And I just, I, like, I had to turn it off because it hurt too much. Yeah. Uh, to keep watching him explain why the couch was, was uh, suffocating her. And it was just all sorts of stuff like that through the whole thing. I mean, obviously, everybody's given Alec Baldwin his accolades, but it's really amazing. He's, he's become one of the all-time great sitcom actors just from the show. I know. Show. It's weird. Um, it doesn't matter if they put his wife in North Korea or they do whatever. Anytime his mother shows up, it's gold. It's yeah. He, he, she just died. Yeah, she died. They just killed her off. Um, Sorry. But, uh, you know, because then it changed his character completely. He lost all of his confidence. And it just – everything about his character is wonderful. The, the, the interesting thing is like over the past year or two, similar to you, I've been catching up and it's been great to see his hair go from – Died to not die to die to not. Or, die. or I watched. There's a there's a channel here in LA that shows him at midnight, and yeah. he, you know he's lost like 25 pounds. Yeah, yeah. So I went back and watched like a season two episode where he was like blimp size, yeah. and I was like, oh, I forgot how big and he yeah. was. It probably goes that as we're as we're giving accolades to uh, Alec Baldwin. Go on the web and find the Jerry Seinfeld web show <laughs> comedians driving cars. <laughs> And you find, think you're rapier than me? And find the Alec Baldwin episode because it is possibly one of the funniest, the things I've laughed at the most. The, the, yeah. the whole Burt Lancaster, the Connor and I yes. riffed on it for, I suppose you're looking for this. I believe you're looking for this. <laughs> Just I looking for this. <laughs> so yeah. good. Now here's the part of the show where, where we alienate Josh, but I think New Girl is my favorite comedy. It's fantastic. It's great. It's, it, it's, it's really good. I was talking about this, uh, it was on just the other day, and you know the new episode, and it's the one comedy i look forward to by far the most yep yeah uh the, it, it's gone to an absurd places but it still maintains the heart of all those characters and it's made the interesting choice in the beginning i didn't love it in the beginning in the beginning it was all about wacky jess and her roommates yeah and what they've done is they've made them all crazy 
they've made them all crazy and they've, they don't linger too long on a single character. They all get their kind of moments. Um, it's, it's become, it went from a sitcom around her with a supporting cast to a true ensemble yeah. and everybody brings something to the table. I mean, I was, I was lukewarm on Winston, but after this, this, the Christmas episode that was just on Winston yeah. is hysterical. He's great. Yeah. And they, the beginning is all about Will Jess and Nick fall in love. And now Nick is like weird. Yeah, I love it. And you can't add all you you can every once in a while you see like there could be a thing, but well mostly because the two actors have a lot of chemistry, but he's just so weird that you can't ever see them really getting together until he changes. But so I think that's a good choice to sort of make them all have their own strange. He's great. He the, the, the episode with the Jap with the with the Japanese guy. <laughs> oh, that was oh, it was great. Yeah. So. Or the one where he he thought maybe he met himself in the future. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's my favorite character in the show. I mean, everyone loves yeah, Schmidt. Schmidt's great, and I love Jess. Jess is great, but I think Nick is my secret favorite character in the show. No, Nick is my favorite. Character. I mean, Schmidt is great. Schmidt can be very funny, but he can also get very tired. Very, yeah. you know, like. And, but um, yeah, Nick is great. He's fantastic. Yeah, and he was in Safety Not Guaranteed. So there you go. I'm going to continue to pat myself on the back for this next show. So um, there's been a there's been a void in my life for a good hour long drama for years. ER filled that void that you know, and then ER went away, and I really feel as if I've been meandering through life. You know, like I just, I've just been trying to find direction. I've been trying to think, and luckily enough, on a rainy street corner. And luckily enough, uh, the good wife has given me that uh, that direction I need out of life. This is a show that I dismissed when it first came out because I thought it was about it was focused on like political scandal, and even though it kind of is, but I thought like I just thought I thought they mismarketed it when the show launched. And the reality of the fact it is a great legal show, a great lawyer show, but with a great cast. I'm a huge Josh Charles fan. I'm a huge Juliana Margulies fan. And I want, and the thing was, after the show launched, I was aware of it, but I wanted to watch it. But it wasn't on Netflix streaming. It was like it was like. Remember, I went through that ridiculous. I want to watch the show, but I can't. Um, And so I ultimately had to fall back on getting the fucking discs from Netflix, which is so arcane. I I don't understand how that works anymore. But so I got each season's disc, and I caught up season one, season two, season three. Now I'm fully caught up, and it is a highlight of my week. I can't wait for new episodes. And it's almost as if they're making the show just for me because they added Alan Cumming to the cast. They keep bringing in guest stars that are people that I that are just fan. The, 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 the guest roster stars. of guest stars yeah. dwarfs anything on television. Yeah, it's great. Yep. From Michael J. Fox to like people, people really yeah. high quality television. Brian Dennehy and um, and what's great is that Stephen Root, who was on yeah. the who was who was who we didn't mention, who's also yeah, was on Bro- Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire, who's great. But like, and they they have recurring characters and they bring them back. Martha Plimpton, yep. who I love, and she like and and it's just it's just it's just a great show, and I, I do like Chris Noth and. and and I think it's uh, – I'm a big fan of Matt Sirkery or whatever from when he was on – from when he was on Gilmore Girls. Not a big Christine Baranski fan, but that's fine. But uh, it's just – I can't stand the kids either. Yeah. But other than that, it, the, the show is just great and it's, it's, it's a must-watch for me now. It's so. that classic old – network drama show that you don't yep. really get much anymore and it's and it gives you that same feeling that the yeah. ER did in that in that way it's, I mean if you look at the guests like you said you know like Nathan Lane yep. Michael J Michael J Fox uh, Gary Cole yep. uh er- Edward Herman Gary Cole's uh, character was great Maura Tierney Martha Plimpton you know oh, yeah, this just, year's the battle of the ER women with yeah, Maura Tierney Park, as the bad guy. Parker Posey yeah. uh Kristen Chenoweth no no I'm not Kristen Chenoweth Amy Sedaris I always get them mixed up though. yeah, yeah. You know, like it just uh, uh, F. Murray Abraham, who's awesome. Yeah. You know, like oh, just great. Yeah, so great show. Oh, Kristen Chenoweth was on the show. Yeah, she oh. got hurt. She got hurt. A light fell on her. She had to leave. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's also Are we done. Candy. John it's Glover. A great show, Josh. I John Glover really... was on two episodes. No, I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I can't believe your wife doesn't watch this show. You know who also is on the show? Lutz from Thirty Rock. Yes. 
No shit. Yeah, we, Bob, we a, Bob Balaban. He had a brief cameo in uh, Sleepwalk with me also. Yeah, he, he did. <laughs> I like Lutz. <laughs> yeah, he's funny. I don't think they use those guys enough. Now, Josh, I don't, you, I think you, really funny. you made the same noise when we, we suggested ER to you. And look how that turned out. I don't think that that happened. Yes, yes it did. Yes, it did. Well, that was a different guy. I tried to watch I, you and you went. No, 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 no. But, but, okay, let me. I have no problem with the good wife. I just, uh, I just haven't done anything about it yet. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong. New girl. I've watched a little of that, and I wanted to rip my eyes out. Yeah, well, but you don't like fun, so that's that. I believe that I've shown that to be causally untrue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move that's on. Not a word. Sons of Anarchy is not a good show. <laughs> I just, I want that to be clear. If you've ever seen The Shield, then you have seen the thing that Sons of Anarchy is pretty much trying to be. It's shot the same way. I think it's the same crew. Kurt Sutter's from there. It is, however, compelling like a box of Nestle's Crunch that you will just keep eating it forever. And you go, this isn't really that good, but there's another one in there. Uh, And you keep doing that forever. It's kind of ridiculous. I don't know if it's fun. It's not particularly funny. There's no jokes. No, it's not. Every once in a while, there's a little joke. Unrelenting awfulness is what what I've heard. Yeah, it's kind of like, but it's no different than The Shield. You know, where basically the idea was Vic Mackey would walk around and everything would be going to hell around him and he'd tell everybody, trust me, it's going to be okay. And that's exactly the same show except it's Jack Teller. That that was 24. (laughs) Well, I need you to trust me. Yeah, basically. But I keep watching it. And this season is better than the last one. I guess. Now, I'm not sure. But the good, but the good thing about it, though, is that uh, it, it, this is a theme you're going to see through half the shows we're talking about, is that all the cast are taken from people from shows that we really loved, that, yeah. that like only we watched. You know, like Everybody from Band of Brothers is now working. Everybody from The Shield and everybody from, from The Wire and from Deadwood. And these people are all working everywhere. And that's kind of the fun well, part about it. It's actually a really they, they good cast. They shows of, that people in Hollywood like. It's yeah, like the exactly. The cast of Friday Night Lights is going to work forever because people in Hollywood love that show. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, uh, you know, Jimmy Smits is in this episode, is in this season, and uh, a bunch of people. Play, he plays a, like a gang leader, pimp, whorehouse runner guy, which is very odd. Wasn't he for wasn't pres- he pr- President Santos? Princess Leia's father. Listen, I don't really remember how any of that works. <laughs> so, now the newsroom is much maligned by many people. It has. They must, not a, they must listen, have stopped listen, watching listen, it. Listen, Stupid people. Listen, it has faults. I can list them. I yes. don't care. I love it with my whole heart. Yes. I, I I I will say uh, that I, I I was I was obviously looking very much forward to the West Wing is my favorite show of all time. The West Wing is my ER to Ron or you know what I mean. Yeah. And I was I was a hundred percent down with it. I love I love shows about the media. And I will say about four episodes in, I was like, ooh, yeah. I don't know about this shit. But steadily, by the end of it, you know, fist in the air, you weeha. It's it's I mean it's the kind of show I, and I've described it before. It's the kind of show that depresses the fuck out of me because it makes me feel like a complete abject failure because <laughs> because it's because we went to school for TV and movie and all that sort of stuff and and seeing people do like make TV like same thing I felt like watching Sports Night and all this stuff I'm like oh this, I want to do that it's <laughs> it's very much Aaron Sorkin it's rosy and it's aspirational aspirational it's not it. and people complain that it's not realistic it's not realistic it's it's his yeah, idealized it's world idealized version of a newsroom it's just in the same way that there in no way was the west wing realistic it was an idealized version of politics yep where everyone got, was doing the right thing and whereas here is the you know the news is still important and as someone like me who grew up in a news family full of journalists and this will come up later on in the next section you know this to me is is wonderful because I, I do believe the news is important and I think that this is this plays it as important now is it real no of course not the 
the way that they they want to go about doing the news and telling the truth and not not going the muck is would never work today. But for me, I get to live in this fantasy world for one hour a week where the news is is still a noble profession and it's still you know it's still a thing to aspire to do to be a good newsman. And I love that. Yeah, the love uh, story can go can go. No, there's fine. problems. There's certainly problems in the cast. <laughs> is, is is not not great. The relationship stuff has got is rocky parts, but when the news breaks. Yeah, the show is unbeatable for me. When the when the story breaks and they have to cover it, that's when the yeah. show catches yeah. fire. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's it's so much fun to watch, and it ties into that. So, so much is that Sunday night HBO AMC kind of you know thing. But um, yeah, it's great. It just I, Jeff Daniels it just he's, blew he's, me away. He's he's really really good. Great. Yeah. So uh, probably uh, you know it's hard not to uh, do what we do at iFanboy stuff like that. Not talk about the Walking Dead, the phenomenon. I, I found uh, season three, the the latest season. Um, it really I've, and the end of season two, which is in February of earlier this year, and then now season three to be really interesting after the departure of Frank Darabont to see how. You know, um, who's the new showrunner? Glenn, Glenn Mazzara and, Shield. and Shield, yeah, and Kirkman and and Greg Nicotero to just to really zone in on the fact that people just want to see zombies, and in and not not and that's really making it simple, but really ramping up the speed of the show, ramping up the pace, giving us more zombie killing stuff. They introduced the prison, which was great, and getting to that great governor storyline. I thought that David Morrissey, who plays the governor, blew me away. Yep. Like he he was a high point of the season. Oh, he's still going. We're still halfway through the season. Yeah, right. True. Right. No, but for this this part of the, right. this part of the, you know, it it just was it was my my Sunday nights became you know the Walking Dead, the Boardwalk Empire, and like that I was that it totally. I think that's why I didn't see as many movies because I was home watching TV that when I used to be the movie Sunday. Yeah. yeah, Sunday night used to be a movie night. They have ramped up the the suspense. They have made it quicker. Uh, yeah. This season, it's, it is more, but there's a lot more going on. They've got on one side, they've got the zombies. The other side, they've got the governor and Woodbury. So they have a lot of, yep. there's a lot of action going on this season. So in that sense, I think they, they took it. it two was a lot more, lot sl- slow. But I don't mean slow in a bad way. But people didn't like it. It was a lot more people talking, which is more what the book's about. Uh, yeah. Whereas this season is much more action packed. It is different, sort of tonally than the book. The book is a different beast and it's a d- different kind of story and it's a d- it's much more about the people whereas this is this is equally about the zombies as it is the people yep. because I think most people are turning in for that. But it's still I think as good as the book for me. Yep. I enjoy it as much as the book. It's good stuff. I didn't watch it. I'm going to watch The Walking Dead. I just didn't watch it. I did watch Justified uh, which is uh, which is probably one of my favorite shows that's coming back soon. I mentioned it earlier. The second season of Justified anybody who watches that show knows was a thing of perfection, really. It was, it but was. I enjoyed the first season more because it was more. Really? Yeah, I liked the second season was great, and I don't, I don't discount it. But I liked the first season more. It was more the idea of it was more of the western. It was more of the cowboy, okay. you know. Well, as a, as a piece of sort of anyway. So coming to the third season, there was a little bit of what what are we, what was this going to be like? And I liked that it was a completely different thing. Uh, they went in a different direction, and again, Band of Brothers alumni mm-hmm. on this plays the really strange, creepy bad guy through the whole season who had who had a lot going on and it's just like this cool hip sexy show that um, the, what was fun about the first season was every episode you could count on one uh one drawdown yes <laughs> and i do miss that as i don't thing. think you shot anybody in the second season till the very end yeah well yeah but he had so many good moments no, no I, I look it was a great season yeah. but i liked you're right i think it's a very sexy show it's very underrated in that sense and it's also a show that, we're, unlike other shows, there's no other real backdrop like that. The closest would be The Walking Dead in terms of just where it's taking place, but sort of the backwoods in the south and the small towns. You don't get many <laughs> shows like that. And, and I feel like it's 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 respectful of that. Absolutely, because the, uh, the different people in there, and he's not. 
Yeah, and uh, the the difference this this season was McKelty Williamson as not a bad guy or or a good guy, just sort of a, a third element, a, a chaos element, kind uh, of a crime boss in the sense that the crime boss yeah. protects his people and his neighborhood. But uh, he was the one guy. He was the guy this season that every time he was on screen, you were just you were transfixed. Yep. And uh, me and Paul Montgomery, other I fanboy writer, we did a we did a fuzzy typewriter episode on on season three, so you can go back and listen to that too if you want more of it. But uh, still continues to be one of my favorite shows. It's coming back next month. I'm, I'm super excited. excited about it, and uh, I can't wait for more. Ron, are you over Smallville being gone? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was so plaintive. No. No. I'm not either. It's tough. It was ten years. It was ten yep. good, ten good years. And then they follow up the Smallville on the CW was been Arrow. Uh, which is their attempt to continue the superhero vibe on the channel without being totally superhero. So he's not called Green Arrow. In fact, this week he basically shunned the name Green Arrow when it was brought up. Uh, uh, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. Well, sorry about spoilers. We had the spoiler <laughs> warning in the beginning. This has been the surprisingly gritty and very good sh- Green Arrow show on on CW. Would you agree, Ron? Oh, absolutely. This the, I, I've, I've been saying this scratches my small village. But it's also different. Smallville was much more of the. No, no, I'm not saying it's like. I'm not saying it is yeah, Smallville. It's like it's. It, but it scratches the itch that Smallville has yeah. not left. You know, like it. It is. It's a much different show. It's much more grittier. It's much whatever. But it's schlocky drama and you know and tying in the action and all that sort of stuff. But I'm impressed that I'm as engaged in it as I am. I didn't think I would be. And I also surprised that it's so popular. It's one of their top shows, which is strange because they've gone the anti-Smallville route in that they're cramming in as many DC characters as they can. Yeah, I mean, every episode's got someone new. They've had the Huntress, they've had Deadshot, they've had Deathstroke a few times. They had China White. They have, they have a bunch of smaller characters, and they, they're cramming them in there. Yeah, yep. And uh, they're adding Roy Harper. Awesome. Um, so uh, it's it's been lots of fun. I really look yeah. forward to it every week. Yeah, it's good. It's a good show. Really so. underrated lead actor. He can do funny. But not yeah, I'm not a big fan of him. It's that the stiff back pose, straight ahead look. Like I'm just tired of, and I don't know. But um, you know, he can do funny though. I do see. I do. I do see that point though. So. Yeah. Goes without saying, but also in the tip of the Sunday night, whatever. Just uh, is just how epic Game of Thrones can be this season. Again, for me, it really kind of all boils down to that Battle of Blackwater. That was just that. That was just great, and the show just continues to to impress. It's just like it's like I don't believe these shows exist. That's the point where it's at with these with these shows, where they're just so cinematic um, and so engaging. So. The problem with these shows is they're raising the bar of expectations. Yeah, exactly. And they and they only last for like twelve weeks, and then I'm dying. It's like <laughs> that's true. People, yeah. people I, expect so much from these shows, and then and they have yeah. to meet them. But it, it, I, I actually was. I was let down by the second season. I thought it wasn't nearly as strong as the first no, one. No, I think that's true. I think that's true. I had literally I'd watched the first season five or six times yeah. through. I mean, like I was I was smitten. Yeah. Uh, and so going into this, you know, I, I think I was expecting a lot more. Didn't we talk about this? The fact that season one had more of a central driving narrative. You basically yeah. followed one story. There was yeah. there were side bits, but it was mostly Ned Stark and, the, yeah. and that whole conflict. Whereas this season. You never knew whose story you were going to follow. Some of it was more compelling than others. Sometimes you wouldn't see Khaleesi for three episodes, and then, she, then it would be all her. It was, it was much yeah. more all over the place. And in that sense, it could be much more choppy in terms of who you really cared you were following. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that I, that I thought was interesting is that the first season followed the book to the letter. Yep. For the most part, you know, other than just some things. This deviated a lot. Yep. It changed a lot of things. And, and I think that sometimes that can work. But it didn't feel like it did. Is it going to have to going forward? I may have read the books. We'll talk about that in a second. <gasps> they're going to have to because they're killing people who didn't get killed and vice versa. 
you know, the, the, the main characters are still going to go through their thing. I think the, the characters are still incredibly compelling. I could, you know, the actors I, are still fantastic. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You, and you want to talk about other guys you can't, you can't take your eyes off Peter Dinklage, uh, yes, yeah. and Jon Snow and, and sort of those guys. But you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to do. It's, it's, it's a lot of heavy lifting at this point in the show. So I don't blame, I think, I think they've got a real chance to come back around. The third season could be, you know, should be should be but amazing. I, I did like that battle fun. scene that Ron mentioned earlier. I think that it was a really good job of doing a giant battle with a television budget. Yep, exactly, and and it was engaging and it was exciting and yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was the rings. And you're not going to get that on here. It was very feature. contained. It's a very small beach, but <laughs> it was, they, they still did all right by it. So, yeah, yeah. 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 I think being aware of that doesn't help. Yeah, guy was aware of it. I was like, you're not going to be able to shoot this. I'm like, oh, it's all at one wall. Yeah. I see. Oh, well, it's, I look for the good things, and I'm optimistic. Yeah, you, you got to take the budget into consideration. That's that's bullshit. It's half not empty. bullshit. You got You have to deal with what they're dealing with. People complain about Smallville not looking like a like summer movie because they can't. You got to you got to take it as it is. Being disappointed with something does not make me half negative. empty. Fuck off. <laughs> Let's talk about Mad Men because I thought that season three, which a lot of people didn't like a lot, ended really really strongly. Last three episodes of season three were amazing. Were great. Season four, I remember thinking, that's it. This, is, this can't get any better than this. Uh, by the time we got to season five, which we're in this year, I, it was sort of falling. Mad Men was finally falling below in my esteem. Mad Men is probably my favorite running television program, current show, I would say. And, and season five met every expectation I had and more. And for a show that doesn't have an action element, doesn't have a suspense element in that way, I was doing the same thing at the end of every episode, standing up and be like, ah! Uh, I, I absolutely loved it because of the epoch change that everybody went through. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and, and what, you know, it seemed at the end of the last one that, that Draper marrying his, his secretary or whatever she was, the, the, the receptionist, was a really bad idea. But what it did was elicit this whole symbolic change in him throughout the whole season where no, he's no, he, he's, she's actually his match. Yeah. You know, or challenging him. The, the, the scene, the right. scene where he's in the in the conference room at the office at night watching her reel. Yeah. yeah. Like I felt that spoke that that summed up the whole thing. Like I yeah. th- that that totally. And the show is just so, like it's just so perfect. It's yeah. not fair. It's not like it's like down to the 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 ups of like that of his relationship and all the stuff that to the downs of Lane committing suicide and like all the stuff that happened and also. I mean, we. I mean, I feel like we say this every year, or whatever. But fucking Roger Sterling, just hyster. I mean, hyster. I mean, I love him. I love him. My favorite moment was, I think it was the season. Yeah, I think it was the season when he gave Pete Campbell a set of skis, and Pete like stumbled out of his office car, and then like, and Pete was like, like, oh, you know, thank you. Like, what can I, you know, what can I give you in return? He's like, oh, nothing, nothing. Just your happiness is enough. And then Pete stumbles and like drops them, and then he just goes, and I got to see that today. <laughs> like it just. These little like asides that are you know just what he like is? oh he's, he's great almost Creed y- yes almost yes <laughs> of the show like yeah, he gets yeah. one great moment per 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 episode although you know he's he's got more to do than that I just remember every week just being more and more blown away by by the thing that they were building and thinking it, this can't go on they're really they're really examining better. the generational divide I love it yeah I I don't know how much longer I want it to go into the, I don't know if I want to see Don Draper in the 80s I do I, I don't care I, don't, I do I don't know if I do I like the challenge I, I like don't the think challenge. they'll go that far they do yes no yeah it's gonna end in the 80s alright yeah that's what I've heard but, that's nuts yeah I was, it was huh. great to hear uh, a Beatles record sounding yes. wonderful yep yeah and not, not through little earphones 
Yeah, and then and then um and then have it and then Don just turn it off, dismiss it. <laughs> I don't. I love that. that, and was that great. I mean that that's a great. The kind of thing is like it's pretty, it's it's pretty straightforward symbolism that's going on there, but it's done really well. Yeah, it's also subtle, and they didn't hammer us over the head with it. They didn't have him no. say this. Yeah, no, I know. I don't, but, I don't get it. You had to infer. Yeah. But it's it's all. But it's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's not a thing where like you're looking at it going, I don't, I don't get what they're doing. Like like you'll watch stuff afterwards, and the people will be like, well, this symbolized this, and like no one would know that in a million years. It's all you know. It's there for you to see if you're paying attention to it. Yeah, until someone reads the post on Slate. Whatever. <laughs> this is the final season for Breaking Bad. We're in the middle of the break right now, the the AMC break, which is actually now bled to the networks. Have you noticed they do it now? Yep. Mid- you know, the, yeah, winter finale and stuff like that. They don't have the reruns in the middle. They have the straight yep. episodes and they take a break and they come back. I'm fine with that. I'm fine yeah, with much, that. I, I, look, much I look forward to the breaks. Yeah, It's a so. much better model. You don't want to have to watch a rerun. So this is the final season for Breaking Bad. And the thing about it is is uh, you just you just know – you just know it's going to go badly for at the end for everyone. You don't, but you don't want it to because you've gone so accustomed to these characters, and so uh, you're, you're you're at least unless especially in Jesse's point, you're so attached to them, and you just know it's just not going to be happy for anyone. And that's sort of the dread of the show, I think, is that they've gotten back together. He's him and Jesse have patched things up. They're working together again. Everything's everything's mostly good except for the wife, who's a little crazy. And then you just but you just know there's no nothing good coming and. Uh, it's tough. There's, we, we, we have an embarrassment of riches right now in, in television. Yeah, we do, the, really the, do. It's a golden. It's a golden age of television. Yeah. This this show, I really like this show a lot. Obviously, uh, it's not it's not necessarily my favorite the way it is a lot of others. I think a lot of people with this at the very top of their list. But I will I will say that you know there's there's nothing better crafted, and the train heist episode. Yes. Uh, this season is is probably one of the finest episodes of TV I've ever watched. Uh, and, just the suspense of it, and then and then the sort of the heartbreaking ending of it. Mm-hmm. Also, Lance. Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah. Landry. Know, yeah. Landry. <laughs> Friday Night Lights is on it this year. And, you know, Mike was great. And, uh, you know, the, the, we, haven't, we haven't really felt the loss of Gus very much. So, uh, at least, you know, you know, like he was such a good foil, I suppose. I was uh, reading but, an article recently, I think it was in The Hollywood Reporter, about how TV right now really is killing mid-level movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, they make their blockbusters and they make their super small indies, but all the middle dramas are getting the, the talents all going to TV because that's yeah. f- first of all, it's where they can make those things. But th- th- it's really from a from a creative standpoint, there it's killing it. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting that we finally found a place for long form storytelling in uh, you know motion picture form, and I love it. I love long form storytelling, yeah. and and you know this this. Almost didn't exist, except you know, in, in small pockets here and there. You know, you, you don't talk about ER. You know, it had longer storylines, but it was still episodic. You know, well, you had those going back to Hill Street Blues and Wise yeah. Nights like that, but the it happened arts, there. And, yeah. But now it's like the, it's the thing to do, and it's it's creating so much. You know, it's giving them so much space and so much room to do character development. I think the shell game of ratings has allowed it to happen. I mean, the people can get by with uh, smaller audiences because no one really knows who's watching anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, I mean, the, I mean, you t- you think about it, like the highest rated, the highest critically, whatever, you know, like Man Men being as critical, whatever, you know, what was it? Uh, Walking Dead finale had 15 million people watching. Yeah. Bartle Empire had seven million. Mad Men does like what three million? Two or three. Yeah, yeah two or three million. Yeah, so I mean, it, you know, and it, and it's just and it's just funny to see like now we're seeing cable numbers creep up into what network used to be. No, it's just, no, no, uh, never, no, 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 never, no. Never. What network is now? Uh, yeah. Right, what network is now? Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, or or used to be in that they're doing less than fifteen million. 
Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, you're never going to see a 40 million viewer. Oh, no, no, no. I don't mean that. I mean, like, actually, like, north of 10 million. I think that that's that's more what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I understand that. So those days are over. What I like is that. Uh, when I, I think it used to be that the idea was in order to get an audience to come back, you need to keep it new every week. Yeah. And now it seems to be like, no, no, if you hook them into one thing, they're going to keep coming back and you'll be able to retain your audience. Well, that's, and I, I th- that's, you don't see that on the networks. They're afraid to do that. Lost really hurt. I mean, it was the last gasp of that. They, won't, they don't want to do that. Every time they try to do an episodic show, it just fails on the networks because cable can get by with 3 million viewers who are willing to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 12, 12 week runs as opposed yeah. to twenty two episode orders. There's not a general audience for the episodic shows. Those yeah. uh, those fail in general audience shows, but they can get by with with Mad Men numbers. All right, so uh, we watch a lot of TV. So that was the TV we watched. But we also try to find some times to read read books, book learning, word words. Actually, ironically, like after last year when we talked about Reem D, like that just kicked my ass and that knocked me back on prose for a while. <laughs> um, I was going back to see what books I read. I'm like, oh, I didn't read as much as last year. But um, going back up to Mike and Tommy snacks, I'm a big Michael and Ian Black fan, and he came out with a little memoir called "You're, You're Doing It Wrong," which honestly surprised me in that it was very honest and it was. Very funny at times, you know, but very Michael Ian Black. If you know him, if you know his style of comedy, like you'll enjoy reading it. It was a quick read, but it was a lot of fun. I definitely enjoyed that. A lot about parenting, getting older, you know, relationships, things like that. He did. He did a segment on This American Life at some point this year. Yeah, where he told a story about his growing up and his family, and and it was the the other side of him basically. Yeah, that I'm sure is in the book, but. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, no, really, really interesting. Like I said, I didn't expect. I expected. It, I expected to be more sarcastic, and it's sarcastic, but it was. It was definitely more honest, and it was definitely more um, revealing than I thought it would be. I spent January to May reading all of the available Song of Ice and Fire books. Uh, you may know them as Game of Thrones, although that's just the title of the first one. It was one of those things where I couldn't tell you if it was any good or it was bad, but I could not stop just happened everyone I, everyone i talked to who's read them they once they start they can't put them down until they're done and the really i gotta say the wonder of ebooks is that literally it's if it's like twelve forty-five at night and you're reading you get to the end of one of them you go oh download and you just buy the next one and you keep going at least before you had to go to the store or think ahead <laughs> or buy it. or get up yeah. Or sober up and go, is that a good idea? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just, what I do is I just I, I, I hit buy on the book and then I take a big haul out of my super, super big gulp. <laughs> and then by the time that I've got that swallowed, the book's ready to go because yeah. they're not very big files. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, obviously I liked that first show a lot, so I just I just kept going and I, and I tore through them. How many is there? Four of them out? Five? S- five? There's five. five. It's supposed to be seven, right? But they're big books. I think it's hard to tell when it's digital, but I think that by, like I've gone to the store. No, they're and they're giant. Like, oh, they're giant books. Yeah, there's a big book I read. Yeah. But it's it's just one of those things where there's just swirling so many characters and things, and and it's another one of those ones that we're like we were talking about massive people were complaining about it, and I was like I don't I don't care. I'm just going to keep reading, and I'm enjoying it. I, I'm not analyzing it in any way. I I just keep going. You know, the only joke that I can make about the whole thing is that every time somebody enters the scene, we have to describe what they're wearing. Every single time. <laughs> Hodor. Wearing a gold halberd and a, it's like, oh, you get to learn what that stuff is a lot. But, uh, you know, they're totally worth it. And I know that, like, it's never going to get finished. Well, that's the <laughs> thing is I, I, we've talked about this and I, I would love to read them. They're right up my alley. I love the show. But I have, I'm not confident that it's going to finish. And I don't want to start this series and then have it be, well, he died before the last book got done. 
Yeah. You know, he doesn't look healthy. He's he's a he's a big man. He's an, he's an older man, and he's wrapped up in his TV world. Yep. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I wonder how that's going to affect the books because, yeah, you know, they can't fully adapt the show. But, but just like comics, you know, like I've enjoyed what I've read so far. Right. Yeah. I just know. If it's I just that know if it's a seven book series and he dies at six, I'll be so pissed if I started reading him. Yeah. You know. Well, you, I know what you'll do. When the last one comes out, you'll buy whatever the stupid the box, box set, set yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, and then you'll read them all really quickly, so it's fine. Yeah, uh, I read Alpha by Greg Rucka this year. Alpha, uh, you'll know Greg Rucka if you listen to the show. He's a comic book writer. I've read a bunch of his prose. I read his Batman No Man's Land adaptation. <sighs> I've read his two Queen of Country novels. I haven't read his other non, his Atticus Kodiak books, his non-comic uh, stuff until this time. Alpha is the first of hopefully three books about this new character, Alpha Bravo. Is there Charlie. a doubt? When you say hopefully, well, they're you know if you get, if, if they they sell well, yeah, obviously uh, it's I think he's doing it through a really small publisher I think local to Portland and according to the interview that our Paul McCartney did with him that the first one did well enough he's definitely working on the second one so I, I assume they'll get done but you never know in publishing, um, yeah. but it's about a uh, it's a really short but, but that's okay for you but for George R R Martin no well because it's not what, a it's not a whatever. story it's it's about the same character <laughs> but. This book is it's the main character is an ex uh, special forces guy who's got a job as head of security at a not Disneyland Disney Disneyland esque resort theme park and you know then, then terrorists try to take it over so this, this is one story about this guy you know saving the resort also his family is visiting the resort at the day of the takeover so it's a very quick very fast action packed Greg Rucka writes action well he writes military stuff well it I read I think I read the thing in two days it's you know it's one of those books where you start reading it. People start shooting each other, and you don't want to stop till the shooting's done. So, uh, I highly recommend it. For, he's a, he's a really good writer, and I think pr- his prose is even better than his comic writing. I think um, so. I think that's very possible. Josh, I think you'd really enjoy it as, as a quick read. I think it's um, it's on my it's on my list of things to do. I'd actually kind of forgotten about it until I now. I think it's like so. two hundred fifty pages. It's not super long, but it's one of those things you you know you read it in, a, in like ah. a couple of days, and it's after it's, uh, after I got done with with the Game of Thrones books, I just I, I went on an all U.S. history rampage, and I'm still in the middle of. <laughs> I just I went the opposite direction. Well, if you need well, if you need well, a palate, palate cleanser, then then read this and then yeah. you move on. Yeah. <laughs> Ron, speaking of not wanting to stop until the shooting's done. Yeah, tell me about it. Shooting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, right around August or so, I got an email. We get a lot of email from PR people, and and you know a lot of everyone's got something going on, and everybody wants. Hi. Hope yeah. you're well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and um and I did get one email that I initially deleted, and then I went back. I'm like, wait a minute, did I see? Because uh, I scan it quickly for keywords, and yeah. and it was from a, a a book publisher who said that you know come this October there's a book called Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe coming out, and I'd love to give you an advanced copy to check it out. And I was just like, ooh, this is relevant to my interest, and so I said, sure, I will take an advanced <laughs> copy, and. And unbeknownst to me, I got sucked into a vortex of what is, as for a comic fan, might be one of the most fascinating reads of the year in that Sean Howe sat down and and chronicled that the best is of his ability in a one book, the complete history of Marvel Comics from the late 1930s till today. Uh-huh. And it was it, as engrossing as you can imagine, but for surprising reasons. And now since then, Josh, you've read it, right? I have, I have, and, and I agree with you. And Connor, you haven't, but you have it. It's on my, it's literally yeah. on my bedside table yeah. right now, ready to go for the F. When you book. start reading it, you will not be able to put it down. That's what I'm afraid of. That's why. Or, 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 yeah. or 
you will have to stop reading because you have things to do. Right. And it will make you really angry because you will want to go. It's like World of Warcraft. I was carrying around my tablet everywhere just so I can read a couple more pages. Like it was like on the bus, on whatever, in the bathroom, wherever. Like I was. Yeah, exactly. On calls. It was like it was engrossing. And what was great was that like the the, the origin stuff and the 1940s stuff and the 1960s, the Kirby Stanley stuff. Like I knew all those stories. Like I, I and I've heard about and these are just different versions and there are little details and things like that but for me where, where, where the energy ramped 70s, up was 80s? no was the 1950s mm. which I did not know as nearly as much what Stanley went through about like firing everyone then hiring up yeah. again then firing again like to hear the how thin the 50s were and what was going on during that time was fascinating so I just read this that year I read, book yeah right. that's what I was going to say I read that book this year yeah. the Spurgeon and I forget the other guy but that Stanley book which covers that so I kind of knew about that I haven't read that but, but when you get to the 70s yes Yes, and you read about Steve Engelhart and and Steve uh, Gerber, Steve Gerber and, and, and Jim and, Starlin. Oh my God! And like and just the, the whole next generation of these guys, and to hear the stories about that, and really what really struck me was like how nothing has changed in the comic book industry. Nothing. <laughs> the, the same issues that they were dealing with back then, we're dealing with now. The only thing that has changed is that the overall number. Yeah. For what counts as big sales, it keeps going down. Yeah, exactly. That's the only constant. Uh, until so, it's going to hit the threshold where they can't publish it. Yeah. yeah. So, so then you get so in the seventies, creator rights was a huge issue. You know, Steve Gerber and Steve Engelhart like doing stuff for Marvel. And like, well, wait a minute, I want, I don't own, I want to own this. And they, you know, then went off to do their other stuff and going across the DC and like all the kind of drama between that. And then you get to the eighties and you get the Jim Shooter, and that's when things oh. get crazy. <laughs> it's just it's like, so good. I mean, for a well, com- for a comic fan, this is crack. I mean, well, what's funny. Is that like I I know I know those names, but I don't really know a lot of them. I know a lot about what's happening right now. Yeah, you know I know the people involved, whatever. Uh, and by the book, by the book goes off a cliff after two thousand one. Yeah, no, that, that's it's yeah, over. My my, comp- my complaint about it was that he um uh that the book was it was almost I wanted more. You know, yeah, it, and, well, it wrapped up, but that makes sense because everybody working, you know, they're all working now, so yeah. there's not going to be as much as much dirt. Uh, all the most but of the people. The, the, the funny thing was is that what what cracked Josh and I were talking about this uh, just during the day how ignorant we were when we first started doing iFanboy as to the real how the comics industry works. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and I think one of the reasons why I was upset with the 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 twenty the twenty first century section of it the two thousands is because I know a lot from from us doing our jobs and talking to insiders and stuff like that. I know a lot of what's gone on and I want to read about it. Yeah. But they're not ready to talk about oh, it. Oh no, they they they're working. They don't want to lose yeah. their jobs. That, and the thing is, that book might never exist. Yeah, true. Yeah, because true. you know, the entropy. But one of the things this is going to sound really depressing, and I'm sorry. One of the things that I thought was amazing was how unhappy the comic book made every the comic book industry made almost everybody. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it just it left everybody shattered, yeah. and in a way that are you surprised? No, I just I think I think that the repetition of history and the cyclical nature of this industry specifically um is amazing yeah. how how the the lessons of what was happening i mean when you read about the strategies that marvel has used to sell books from the 30s yep and how it really carries through to what they're doing today and what they're doing not what dc is doing but what how marvel actually does business has changed very little yep very um, very little. You know, the policies of martin goodman are still somewhat in place yeah. Uh, you know, and and it changes. There are different things to it. I, I mean, Ike Perlmutter is absolutely fascinating as a person who runs this company, and how different he is, and how it is compared to how people think that it is. Yeah. Um, it really is a thing. If you want to, if you want to ruin comic books for yourself, 
it's a good way to go, but it's also a great way to really well, know about. Them. And I also look at it like people in the comics industry should read about it to hopefully you hope people people who don't learn about the past are doomed to repeat it. Yeah, and so like I feel like that that it, it hopefully serves a big service for that. Um, well, anybody who signs a bad deal now, yeah. and and I mean I, one of the things you're going to see very different is very, very have have any of you seen any really impressive or or characters with any kind of longevity be created for Marvel and DC? You know, no, yeah, yeah, fifteen twenty years, no, yeah. Well, I more than ten. I would say uh, yeah, ten. But uh, well, I know, but it started at least. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and honestly, was, Deadpool is like the la- the last new, yeah. you know, hit character. Yeah. It was yeah. Lobo. Like we're seeing the, the effect of that on that. Like people are learning their lessons. They're yeah. not bringing their characters to them because there were just too many shattered dreams. You know, going back to you know the, the Steve Gerber story. The nineties. The nineties stuff was really interesting too. Very quickly, yeah. favorite anecdote from the book run. I don't. I, I read it so long ago. I can't remember. Josh, John Byrne and Chris Claremont. Arguing with each other just in general was really good. And then at one point there was a there was a party at Claremont's house. Uh, I got two. I'm sorry, there's another one. There's a party at Claremont's house where they burned uh they burned Jim Shooter in effigy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that was at John Burns' house. That's what I meant. Anyway, yeah, it was at, at John, John Burns', Burns house, house in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. And then two was when they started kicking around, they, they basically very unceremoniously dumped Claremont and pretty much everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a story that they took Claremont from scripting everything to basically just dialoguing. So all the stuff that he built up, he 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 just he just then they took him to dialogue, and it was kind of crushing. And then they kicked him off, and they were like, "Well, do you want to do it?" And he he left. And then John Byrne was like, "Well, I'll do it." Sort of to stick stick Claremont, but also just because he's like, "Well, I you know I can pay my mortgage with this because they paid a shitload. Of, they were making a ton of money." And they call up one night, and they're like, "We need this done overnight. Can you overdo it?" He's like, "I can't do that." And and they said, okay, fine, we'll get somebody else. And then they called Fabian Nicieza, and they said, oh, you do this? And he said, I, I can't do this. And then, and then they look out in the hallway, and it said, Scott Lobdell, a struggling comedian who hung around the office, was walking by. And they were like, can you do this? And he said, sure. And he ends up taking over the X-Men for years afterwards to, to runs that no one ever talks about anymore. And that's how comics are made. Yep, yeah. right place, right time. Or yeah. struggling anyway comedian Scott Lobdell. Yeah. And oh, having been stuck at a party. Anyway. Yeah. It's great. It's it's so great. It's, the book was I'm, wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also terrified of it for the reasons you mentioned. I, it's yeah. so it's you'll love yeah. you will love I it. I think I'm waiting I, for for the Christmas break to start it because I know that at least I'll be able to read it. Comic uh, I mean if you're like one of the I, I find the characters, meaning the the real people who are who make up the comics industry and the history, are fascinating just to a man. Uh, all the way through. It's amazing. And I've read a bunch of books now on sort of that, you know, the history of comics from different perspectives. And uh, they never get old. Yep. Well, I can't follow that very much other than to say that Cronkite by Douglas Brinkley might have been the favorite thing I read all year of any type, of anything I've read, any type of comic or book or anything. Uh, Can I just tell you something? I'm sold. It's the only definitive biography of Walter Cronkite, the last of the great sort of broadcast journalists. Uh, You could argue that Tom Brokaw might have been the real last one, but Cronkite was the last sort of... None of them are more charming than Brian Williams. Well, yeah, but the, the last guy who came up in the war, came up, cut his teeth in World War II, was not a Murrow boy, but was a CBS guy, became the face of CBS News and then the face of News in America. It's a warts and all biography. I mean, clearly the guy who writes the biography thought highly of him, but it does not shy away from his less than noble behavior. And it's just a wonderful look at the rise and fall of news because the 
you know, the Golden Age of News pretty much started with Murrow in World War II and ended with Cronkite at CBS, and that's, you know, that's his career, and it's, it goes through that entire thing, and it's really fascinating to see the ins and outs and how awful Dan Rather was and, and all that stuff. It's sort of the news version of, I guess, Marvel, the untold story, but uh, it's the best thing I read. Douglas Brinkley's a really good writer, and uh, I think, Josh, you would, really, you would really like it. It was the best thing I read this I'm, year by far. That sounds great. Uh, before we move on to the next section, I, I totally realized in the middle of the books, in TV, we all failed. Why? Because none of us mentioned Louie. I didn't watch it this season. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. So I yeah. did, and I liked it a lot. The, uh, oh, I'm sorry. The last three episodes. With, I know. With, That's yeah, what I was going to say. That's, yeah, uh, da- uh, no, uh, yeah. Gary Marshall needs to get some kind of award for being in it. And uh, David like, Lynch. And David Lynch was amazing. Yeah, no, he was great, too. But be, he was great be because funny. I kept thinking. Be funny. The, 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 thing that, the thing is, the fact that he was David Lynch made me keep laughing. Yep. Because yeah. like I was like that's kind of funny, and I was like that's David Lynch saying that. That's more funny. Yeah, basically the last the last three episodes kind of not to ruin it, but the last three episodes is that he gets a offer to uh, try out to take over the Letterman show, and so it's the whole arc of that of him training, and then and then and David Lynch is a is a guest star of who works for the network who's going to help him like do a de- a test show. And it's oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It gets really surreal. Yeah, really good. All right, cool. So uh, onto the music. I know uh, I'm the only one who likes music here, but um, or likes to talk it's about. Not true. He's <laughs> so, the only one who's trying to find new music. So why do you never add anything to? This? You want to talk about the Beatles? <laughs> yeah, because that's where we're at. Yeah. It takes it takes a while for music to sink in for me, and I, not not a lot has changed since we talked last year. Yeah. Well, so just to go real quickly through it, um, last year in the book section, I talked about reading Bob Mould's uh, biography, autobiography, which is great. And then this year, Bob Mould came back with a just just like a man like with a mission. In February, I got to see him pl- perform the entire Copper Blue uh, album by Sugar that he hasn't been done since the early '90s. Um, he did that at Noise Pop uh, in San Francisco this festival, and then proceeded to tour with that. And then he signed a merge, and then he came out with a new record that uh, was very uh, Sugar Husker Do esque. He got like we were saying, Bob Mool got loud again, and it's just been fantastic. It's been a year of Bob Mool and 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 one of my favorite musicians of all time. Just the, that Sugar record means so much to me, and so it was great to see him back. I got to see him like three times this year. It was amazing. So if you haven't checked out Bob Bob Mould Silver Age is the album. It was really good. I get made. I get. I get. I I was oh. really surprised about this. Hey, listen, I, I so the band Fun, I got their first record. What's happening right now? In like oh nine or something. He's been so. talking about Fun for a while. Yeah, Fun Fun was on the podcast years ago for yeah. that first record. I'm yeah. doing a bit. I know. And yeah, now they've blown up and they've got kids and stuff like that. One of the best shows I've been to this year was I saw Fun at the Independent in San Francisco, which is a oh I want to say like it's a maybe five hundred or six hundred person venue. And I brought a friend of mine who was very – he saw them play at South by Southwest and like dismissed them as like uh, drama student music and like and very theatrical and that sort of thing. And my friend totally got converted after seeing that show and everyone in the, in the club was smiling. It was just like so positive, just so good. That band – like fun, it, the, the name does, the, like, does them justice. They are, they are really good and they're popular. So what are you going to do? You know? The other band that I discovered this year, uh, not not the, probably the only new band that I'm going to talk about here that I discovered was a band called Jajams, J-J-A-M-Z. And now I'm going to tell you this, and then Josh is going to make fun of me, but it's kind of a super group band that has got people from Phantom Planet, Bright Eyes, Rilo Kylie, Maroon 5, and the like. That was not me who laughed. <laughs> I did not laugh. Right. But was that Connor? Yes, it was me. 
I just can't imagine you admitting to liking anything to do with Maroon Five. No, well that that's the th- that's the thing is that so uh, J- uh, James Valentine, who is the um, I, I think he's the guitarist in Maroon Five. This is like his side project. And it's fucking good. I mean, it is like so. It's got the it's got uh, Zberg, the girl from the like singing. So it's a girl fronted band, very Blondie esque, very eighties kind of pop, fun pop kind of very you know sometimes go goes that time or whatever. It's just good indie pop and like it's like this is way better than all the bands that those people are in and they should just do this project. Like it's it, so the jams was uh, was a was a wonderful surprise this year. And then finally, like I mentioned earlier when I talked about Washed Up Emo, is that this year there was a ton of reunions of bands. I feel that, like that's all you did this year. Yeah, it was – I mean it was, honestly, it's like it, – it's to the point it – was, it was kind of head swimming. I mean Bob Moole played Sugar's Copper Blue in February and then in April I saw both Refused and Pulp like around Coachella time. In June, Quicksand reunited the, the uh, hardcore band, uh, post hardcore band that we never thought would ever happen again. Um, they reunited at the Revelation Records 25th anniversary show in Pomona, California. Um, and then I saw, then I, I didn't get to go to that show, but I saw them Quicksand play at FYF Fest in in LA over Labor Day weekend. Um, I saw Braid, which is one of my favorite emo bands from the late 90s. They toured again. Texas is the Reason, which is a very important band in the iFanboy history. Uh, they not only got back together to play one show and October, but they finished recording the la- their last two songs, and now they're releasing a retrospective CD next year, and then they're touring with that. So it was just like it was a year of seeing band. Like I never thought I'd see Pulp. I never thought I'd see Refused again. I saw them back in the day. Oh, and then finally, what I'm declaring is my last White Whale, the last band that I will didn't never got to see, and then finally got to see was I saw New Order, which was uh, amazing. Um, so yeah, it was it was a, it was a really really good year for live shows. As everyone realizes that we're all in our 30s, 40s, and 50s and have money. That's basically the, all these bands realize that they can now get our money from us, which is fine. Connor, how many of those bands did you recognize when he was talking about them? I've seen Texas is the Reason. Yeah, I so know like, Pulp, like I know New Order. Like how, half. Do, how do you not know New Order? I know I, New Order. Yeah. Ruining my bits. That's what everyone's doing. <laughs> I, actually, I actually like the sound of Jajams. Jajams is good. Jajams is good. I mean, don't. Do you feel like a dipshit saying it, though? Yes. Sometimes, sometimes yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Period. Yeah. All right, so that was the year in everything else but comics, but we like to wrap up the show talking about comics. Not a lot because we spend it doing it every week, but we would like to take it home. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on each one of these books, but we're going to talk about some of our favorite books from the year. This is by no means, and I'm just anticipating the comments, by no means all of our favorite books. These are just some of them. No love for Ron. The best new series of the year, hands down, has to go to Saga. Yes. Brian K. Vaughn comes back with, uh, with a vengeance, Fiona Staples on art, and kind of kicked off the science fiction revolution of comics this year. And it's you know very rare that all three of us agree wholeheartedly on a title and are all reading in issues and cannot wait for the next issue. It, it, got, it got four – seven issues came out this year so far, and four of them were pick of the week. Yeah, it, That's insane. Fury Max is very close mm-hmm. behind that, and we, we all like it. It's had a shitload of pick of the weeks. It's Garth Ennis doing Garth Ennis in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, he's just going back to the well and doing what he does. He's just, he's just doing amazing stories that happen to be about this version of Nick Fury. And every, every single issue is top the one that came before it. And I just feel incredibly lucky that they're publishing this, and I'm hoping that nobody figures it out. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. I feel like they're sort of embezzling the funds to get this comic book made, and, and, and if anybody finds out about it, we're doomed. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of good superhero books right now. I think we're in a bit of a superhero renaissance at the moment. There's a lot of great Marvel yep. superhero books. And there's some, and 
But uh, for me, the best superhero book on the market is still Batman from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. You know, they, they, like, they like telling the long epic tales. The like Court of Owls went, however many issues it went, eight, nine. And then we're in the middle of the Joker story now. And I think that Scott Snyder's dialed into that, that character. He's dialed into that family. He's dialed into that city. And Greg Capullo is doing work that I still don't think is talked about enough amongst everyone you know, who's talking about all the great art going on right now. Capullo's still doing some of the best work out there, the most dynamic and fun, action-packed work. And for a Batman fan like me, this has been a great run of Batman stories going back to when Snyder started on Detective Comics. And uh, for me, there's no question of Batman's the best superhero book right now. This year has also been dominated by Image Comics and also a lot of creator-owned titles. Or the Creator-owned has been a, a topic that's been hotly debated and discussed. But um, Jonathan Hickman came back, kind of came back to Image after being over at Marvel for a few years, came back to Image and launched a couple of new titles. But the one that seems to have stuck is the Manhattan Projects, um, which is a wacky take on science of the 1940s within just a bizarre world of Albert Einstein and, and Richard Feynman and uh, Oppenheimer and all this stuff and this weirdo approach to it. And it is looser than anything that Hickman's ever done. And Nick's Pitar, Nick Patara's art is expressive and uh, Jordi Belair's colors are really kind of defining it. And it's just been a, a delight to read. It's like I did not see it coming and don't can't imagine uh, comics without it. Love it. It's been coming out. Yeah, it's been coming out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, it's, it's coming out every time. Uh, Conan the Barbarian from Dark Horse Comics, as written by Brian Wood and, and a cadre of very talented artists, has actually surprised me this year. Uh, if you had told me that, that I would still be reading it 11 issues in, that there would be a pick of the week out of the bunch, yeah. um, and that I would look forward to it as much as I do, I would, I would slap you in the face and tell you what is actually best in life. And then you would beat me up because I'm not a strong man. I just it's been it's just solid comic booking it's one of those things like I don't have a thing to tell you that it could blow me away with but it's just like watching really good craftsmen uh, sort of make comic books and it's just a great group of artists uh, the James Heron issues in particular were, were just wonderful to watch how they did sequences of action and fights and things like that uh, it's it's great if, if you have any just sort of the craft of comics I, I can't recommend something uh, better this year, we saw most of The Shade, which is James Robinson's miniseries returning to the world of Starman with a host of super, insanely talented artists drawing the issues. Yeah. It didn't start this year, but it was ran throughout most of the year, and uh, what a wonderful miniseries. Also, what a great relief that it was really good. Because Right, tell me about it. <laughs> we, we are all huge Starman fans. It's one of my all-time favorite comic stories, and the you know there's always a fear you can't go home again, but clearly... James Robinson can go home to the characters of Opal City as often as he wants. This was just wonderful. Every month was another little story from uh, from the Shade's life t- told by another brilliant artist. And James Robinson has such a great handle on the character that he could write the Shade forever. And I'd be happy. And th- I was so happy this series turned out as well as it did. Here, here. This was the year that much like Invincible before it, uh, I moved to issues on The Walking Dead, which I never thought would see how I would see happen. Well, you're still waiting uh, for that. Still still waiting for for that hardcover. No, no, I'm caught up on the hardcovers. No, but basically with issue 100 coming out, I was like, yeah, let me catch up and so I can read it, be topical and that sort of thing. And then once I got to the 100, I stuck it with issues because I love the the direction it's taken after 100. Um, It's great in issues. It's great. Yeah, no, it's great in issues. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. The book is great in trades and issues and he like Kirkman's cracks some storytelling code that makes it work in any format. And I love the new villain. Negan is I, – I, I could read him all the time. I, like, I, I, I have the feeling that Kirkman could write him for days. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just just um, put him in there. I'll, I'll have him say what – don't worry about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm, in, so I'm on issues on Walking Dead and I'm enjoying it. Took, it just took me 100 issues. That's all. I know that it's a little gauche, 
to say that some of the before Watchmen books are good, but I don't give a fuck <laughs> because Darwin Cook did everything that we wanted him to do with it. And there was a there was just like with the shade, I think there was a little bit of concern, like, oh, you really he's gonna do this? It's sort of a property with about as much baggage as a comic book can have. And and uh, every issue has been better than the last one on before uh, on and Minutemen and you know, out of all the properties that I would want to read, of all the things that I would want to read further, it would be these stories about the Minutemen and it's it's Darwin Cook writing and drawing. I, I can't the dude the, the dude's uh, the he's a modern master and uh, and he's lived up to the hype and and, and I, I look forward to reading them so much uh, when they come out. Similarly, before Watchmen, Silk Spectre, also written by Darwin Cook, along with Amanda Connor, who also draws it. Very different book. Clearly, the two standout books of the before Watchmen experiment. Uh, the only ones we think worth talking about at all. Completely different book than Minutemen. It's, it's, it's over now. It's more of a small human tale about a mother and a daughter with some action thrown in and some wacky 60s adventures. But really... It's a coming-of-age story. It's a coming-of-age story. Yeah. It's, it's a mother-daughter story. It's a family story. It's, it's not a superhero story so much. And the, the fact that they were able to tell different, these different kinds of stories within this framework uh, speaks to the fact that, you know, maybe... Uh, not pre- to prejudge, but to postjudge to actually read the books and see what comes out of these stories. What, what do they? What do they do with what they're given? What they? What they've done is something fun, as opposed to some of the other books, which were what we feared they'd be. So Jason Aaron has done two unthinkable things this year, and the first one was he was able to take Wolverine and the X Men and not only survive Avengers vs X Men, but survive Marvel now. <laughs> and uh, the beginning of the year, I was loving Wolverine and the X-Men, and then AVX hit, and I was worried that the crossover would kill it, and it didn't. He rolled with the punches, and he was able to keep it strong. And then when Marvel Now got announced, I was like, oh, don't take him off this, and he didn't, and it just seemed stronger than ever, and it's, it is the the high point in uh, now that X-Force is winding down or Remender is moving on from it. Uh, Wolverine and X-Men is my X-Men Nirvana moment. It's like, ah, oh, I love this book. <laughs> Whereas I feel like comics are slowly trying to shunt me out. <laughs> This year saw the end of Scalped, uh, also by Jason Aaron. I've long said that Scalped is my favorite ongoing series, uh, and I've said it for a long time, so I feel pretty confident about it. Uh, we saw the last issue. We saw it end. It was a wonderful ending. It was a wonderful series. There was not, it was not a dropped ball. There was not a bad issue. There was not a badly drawn issue. It was 60 issues of exactly what I wanted all the way through, and it got the ending it deserved, and I was so glad to see it be able to end that uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little disappointing because I really have the feeling like we are not going to see another book like this again. But we have what there was, and, and it was great. And, you know, it, at this point, if you've been listening to us talk about Scalped for as long as we've been doing this job and you still haven't bought it yet, I'm probably not going to convince you, but the people who did, you know, they know. And, and I, think, uh, I think Jason Aaron and, and Vertigo and RM Guerra they all need to be commended with with doing you know just one of those rare, complete runs stories on a comic book, and uh, something that's going to live live on for a long time, even if it's only in the form that it exists in now. Ron, why don't we swap so we can continue to stroke Jason Aaron's mighty beard? So the other thing Jason Aaron did this year, aside from um, finishing Scalp and uh, keep Wolverine the X Men sane, is he was able to launch Thor: The God of Thunder through Marvel now and get me to read a Thor book. I'm not a Thor fan, and I'm all about the metal that is Thor, God of Thunder. Uh, Isad Ribic's art is just amazing, and I'm totally engaged by the young Thor, current Thor, old Thor story that he's introduced. It's only two issues in, but it's like, oh, it's, it's drool-worthy. Amazing stuff. 
Spider-Man was the miniseries they said would never happen, but it did, and it was awesome. It was the the meeting of the Ultimate Spider-Man and the regular Marvel Universe Spider-Man. Miles Morales and Peter Parker met in a six-issue miniseries, I think, and it was not what you'd expect. It was it was five issues. Five five issues. issues. It was more about just them talking. There was some action. There was some there was some uh, inciting incidents. Mostly, it was just about. The, the trauma of Peter ending up in the Ultimate Universe, having to deal with that, and then meeting Miles Morales and talking and then leaving. And it was, you know, that's what you wanted it to be. At least that's what I wanted it to be. So in that sense, it was amazing. And it had great art from uh, Sarah Pacelli, who is one of the best artists working. Yeah, speaking of uh, being shunted out the door, I, I think in a way that in a way that Scalped got to end the way it was supposed to, uh, Hellblazer, which is the vertigo series that's been running the longest and it's the comic book series that i have been reading continually the longest uh is going to end with issue 300 i started reading at 150 uh right right when i sort of started reading comic books again very meaningful for me because it was it was i think it was maybe the first non-superhero comic book that i started reading regularly and it was one of the when i was trying out a bunch of books from vertigo um and it's not even like if you were to ask me like the kinds of things that i like Hellblazer is not one of those things. I just always liked the voice of it, and I liked the character, and I liked that he was so different than a lot of the ongoing characters that, that are published from, from DC uh, at the time, which is, which is, I guess, ironic because uh, what they're doing is they're taking the character, and, and you know a year or two ago they, they said, oh, we're going to introduce him back into the DCU, but it's going to be a younger, more contemporary version of, of Constantine. And, and don't worry, though. The other book is still going to keep going. But it turns out that's not true. Um, and I understand why. I know that it's not making the money. It sells pretty abysmally. On the other hand, we have an amazing, amazing backlog of work from creators. This is where this is like the book where, where, where future masters cut their teeth. You know, this was the book where they, they took some British writer they didn't know about. You let, let him write it for a little while. And then he went on to become... Garth Ennis. You know, Garth Ennis and, and Paul Jenkins did wonderful work on this book. And, and it, there's just dozens of them. Uh, Mike Carey worked on this book for a while. D- Jason Aaron did, did a two or three issue arc a long time ago. And it's, it's ending. And it's really bittersweet to me. And it's one of the first times that – it's not bittersweet. It sucks. Uh, it's one of the first times that I really have related to and understand people who feel so strongly about the superhero characters, which sometimes I'm like, hey, come on. They're just comics. I'm, I, I totally feel this. And then, you know, shortly after they announced that, Karen Berger's leaving Vertigo. And like, these are, these are, this is, this is the, my, my center for comic books. This is where I went for, for a long time. And that's my life, you know, is comic books. You know, like my, my career is, is centered around it. So that sucks. But uh, it's been very good, pretty much nonstop. But uh, since Peter Milligan took over a while back, he followed Andy Diggle. It's it's been really interesting in what he got. You know, John Constantine and I got married, but he got married to this really younger, strange, wonderful, weird woman, and and you know he's the same same character he's always been. And you, you just throw stuff at him and watch how it's going to happen. And and uh, I will miss it very much. I feel like this is your uh, eu- eulogy. It is feels like it. Yeah, I'm I'm totally bummed just talking about it. Like I'm absolutely bummed out about it. Like I really feel like like the kind of comics that I like the most are going to become more rare, and I hate that. Because we were in a time where there was a lot of them. But what can you do? That was a bummer. <laughs> uh, much like Fury Max, I feel like Hawkeye's a book where I, I worry they, they don't know it's being published. And when they <laughs> find out it is, they'll stop it. You never know. I mean, that was the same worry we had with X-Force. 
Right, but I mean, this is huh. he, this guy doesn't appear in costume ever. Yeah, it's very unlike every other superhero book at Marvel. From my own personal side, none of us are huge Matt Fraction fans, but we all love this book. It's got great art from uh, from oh my god, why David Aja. why do we do these long shows? Uh, David Aja, um, and then fill in art from was it Javier Pulido did the fill in art. Who was, yeah, yeah, and uh, you can't you can't skip the coloring by Matt Hollingsworth. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, if the entire package of this book, from the design of the covers through the the storytelling, the type of storytelling, the characters in it, from Kate Bishop and Clint, Clint Barton uh, to telling non superhero superhero stories, I feel like someone's going to notice. And be like, why is he wearing the stupid glasses from the movie? Uh, oh, there was a there was a panel in a recent Winter Soldier where it was like a bunch of superheroes standing alongside each other, and then him with his dumbass glasses, with which is like, oh, triangle glasses, awful. yeah, yeah, oh, so bad. But until they notice it and put a stop to it, I'm going to enjoy it because it's awesome, and it's been one of the nicest surprises of the year. Absolutely, Hawking. agreed. Yep. Agreed. So we like to wrap things up or we talk about some of our favorite people working in comics. We each pick one. This is by no means binding. We all have people we like a lot. For instance, we just rhapsodize about Jason Aaron. He's not in this segment. We love him. He's one of the best writers. But these are some of our favorite people this year working in comics. Ron, who was one he's, of your favorite He's not people? my best friend. Well, yeah, Jason Aaron is one of my favorite people working in comics. And I'm, ha- I'm proud to say, announce that he's my best friend. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, no, but honestly, I got to tip – of all people I got to look at this year, I got to tip my hat to uh, Jonathan Hickman. I think the you know coming into the year on Fantastic Four and ending that epic run and really you know making Fantastic Four a hit book again was something to be proud of. And then comes in early on with the creator on booked and books. And even though Secret fell behind, he you know Manhattan Projects like Josh said keeps coming out and looks like he's got plans for more next year. And then uh, following up with uh, his launch of Avengers, which was my pick of the week um, when it came out, he just had a really strong year. And he's just somebody who's he's playing the Marvel game, he's playing the creator owned game, and he's smart and challenging and every book is, I'm satisfied with every word he's written this year so I, I give it up to Jonathan Hickman I had a really hard time with this we always seem to pick writers for this and I was trying not to but when I went through and I sort of thought about the things that I was impressed with the things that I had fun with uh, the name Mark Wade kept popping up to me and I think that we are on the crest of what has been for him you know a couple of years of uh, I guess a comeback I don't think it's unfair to call it a comeback. No, no, he he he, he took a break after fifty two. Like they all went nuts, yeah. and he had. To- but even even up through fifty two, like like he had had a, a peak. I think in the late nineties, early two thousands, where he was doing really wonderful work, and he kind of dipped. And then fifty two was was great, and then he kind of dropped off for a bit. A lot of those guys did, except Graham Morrison. But to see him come back with a vengeance recently, and if you look at at what was basically, and and this was last year, but also into this year, taking a book, taking Daredevil, and turning that into what it is now. Uh, you know, and which is completely different than what it was when I didn't want to read it. Basically, it's a really fun and interesting book that has doesn't feel like what any of the other books, sort of like in the way that, that Hawkeye is. Um, and then over the other side, he's doing the Rocketeer miniseries that he did with Chris Somney and, and even some short stories in there. Those were like a ton of fun. And then at the same time, he's also put his money where his mouth is to come up with Thrillbent, which is his sort of digital comics platform where he sold his vaunted comics collection. I mean, this is a collection that people would drool over, you know, that was inclusive and, and, he, and so that he could fund sort of finding a different way to make comics because he sees some of the writing on the wall. And I think as you see, you know, this is a guy who used to do three or four titles for DC or Marvel. That's changed. He's not in that club anymore. So he's like, well, what can I do to keep going? He's going to make his own properties. The guy's trying to move forward. But also doing the thing, you know, he's, he's doing a little bit of everything. He's got Hulk too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Hulk. That's the, that's the thing. Like he's kind of all over the place and, and he's been – 
just refreshingly good, high quality. He's like a veteran. He's got his foot in two worlds, and I really like that. He's not necessarily, you don't get, the, when you like something is, it's not like, oh, this is the next big thing. It's like, this is this thing that I always liked, and it's, it's reinventing, he's reinventing himself, and, and he's got, you know, the skill. He's, he's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. He's learned a lot, so, but his books are, are getting more fun and, and evolving with him, so uh, I, I got to give him a lot of credit. I think he's had a great year. One of my favorite people working in comics is Scott Snyder. I mentioned earlier, I think Batman is the best superhero book, but he is very prolific. I think every time you turn around, they're announcing a new Scott Snyder book. He ended Severed this year. He had Batman, he had American Vampire, and he had Swamp Thing, three high-profile books. The best superhero book, I think, the, the one, my favorite Vertigo book after Scalped ended with American Vampire. And he took Swamp Thing, a book which was probably deemed unthinkable to make it popular, and he did. He took he made it popular and in, in the post Alan Moore world of Swamp Thing. In addition to that, in addition to his, his work, uh, he's a guy who engages fans on Twitter like no, like no one else I see. He spends hours doing Q and As. He he gives he gives tidbits and hints. He talks about his influences and what he likes and why he likes Batman and thinks about. He spends hours talking to people. I don't know how he has, has time to write all these he's, books that are being announced. He's a guy who has no idea that he's the new Jeff Johns. Huh. that's very <laughs> funny. That's what it is. You know, if I had to add anything to what you said about him, the 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 one other thing is that uh, he has an amazing instinct for the artists that he works with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's going to be a, a real key to his success and longevity. Yeah. But you're talking about someone who's working all the time, lo- clearly loves what he's doing, clearly loves yeah. the comics, loves these characters. We'll be writing Superman next year, uh, as well as some more uh, Vertigo books. Uh, I can't wait! I can't wait for the Wake with Sean Murphy. That's gonna yeah. be great. Yeah. Someone like we, we mentioned, but this is a, this is a theme, and you'll you'll see it coming up more and more as the time comes on. Is he's keeping his feet firmly in the non-traditional superhero world as well? You think he sees the value in not just going full-on superhero? He's got his other books; he never gives up on. So, I severed was this year, right? Severed, yeah, severed ended, ended this year. Yes, yeah, the hardcover came out this year. Yeah, so very prolific. Great, great writers, great people in comics. We could have talked about ten more easily. You mentioned Wade One Eisner's, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah, he's you know yeah. best writer. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but he, yeah, he's never won an Eisner before. Right, which is yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. I, I, you know, he's one of the guys who was key key into getting me back into reading superhero books. Yeah, I, I, like we talked about with TV. We, I mean, even though say we will say all stuff like that, we do have an embarrassment. We're we're doing our year end list and stuff like that. And comics is actually a really good time for comics right now. Quality wise. So, quality wise, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, in the meantime, you can check out our normal weekly pick of the week podcast where we talk about the week's releases. This is anchored by the pick of the week selection. That will return next week with, I think it's Ron's pick, I believe is the first one of the year, but I could be wrong. In addition to that, you go to fanboy.com. You can just find all of our weekly discussion, the, the written pick of the week review, the written book of the month review, all of the comic book news you need to know. Go to fanboy.com slash about for the staff page to find our social network links to be our friends online. And go and follow all the action at twitter.com slash ifanboy and facebook.com slash ifanboy. And you can always get in touch with us uh, and shoot us an email if you have any questions about anything in the world of comics or life. Uh, you can email us at contact.ifanboy.com or leave a voicemail at one eight 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 fanboys That's one eight 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 three two six two six nine seven. It's always good to hear from you. We heard from so many of you this year, and we want to thank you for that. Uh, this part's really important. So if you like the show and you want to help support the show, then we need you to help spread the word. If you like what you're hearing, tell people about it. Write a review on iTunes. Put it on your Facebook page. Uh, do all those things, but uh, you guys out there are the ones who help us uh, let other people know about the show and the things that you like. When you do the reviews, you comment uh, on the shows, all that stuff, and we really appreciate that. And so uh, keep that up. You know, If you want to tell people about the podcast or other podcasts or other stuff like that, you know, 
you you are all keeping comics alive uh, as well. So so keep that up. Thanks. All right. So uh, 2012, it was a good year, I think. We'd like to thank fun. everyone who's listened to the shows, our various shows, who's come to the website, who sends us emails, who sends us uh, messages on Twitter, everywhere. We thank everyone who's made iFanboy possible. We are nothing without all of you, so we definitely thank you. And our staff, uh, our, everyone who's filled yeah. in this year when one of us has to take a break or gone, gone away, everyone who's, who's helped us out, everyone involved in the big iFanboy family, we thank everyone. Yeah, it was one of, one of our best years this year, and so uh, we want to, you know, everybody, everybody had a part in it, so we're very, very thankful, um, except for Josh. Less so, Josh. Uh, yeah, less so, not so I mean, much. you know, eh, a little so bit. More than, more than Rob Liefeld? Eh, first yeah. first of all, we weren't going to say the name anymore. Yeah, he will not be named. Well, it would, the joke wouldn't have worked if I didn't say the name. True, yeah, true, exactly. All right, well, as always, guys, it was a great year. Uh, year six in the books. Oh By the way, we completely blew past our sixth anniversary of podcasting. It happened in early November. We have, the thing is, what we do is we pick a round number, it's and not, then like the anniversary comes right after that. I'm not, not doing what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing other don't, people's don't, jokes. Don't you. <laughs> don't you do it. Don't you do it. You motherfucker. You're not doing other people's jokes. We do other people's movie lines. <laughs> That's okay. As mm. long as right afterwards you don't go, good fellas. Yeah. All right. So uh, tune in for the Pick of the Week podcast, uh, which will be back in January. And thank you for listening. And we hope you had as good of a year as well. Um, and go to the ifaboy.com and in the comments, write what you thought of stuff, shit, you know, movies, TV, all that stuff. We'd like to hear from everybody. Yep. So until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Connor. How long are we going to keep doing this? I don't know. <laughs> So tired. <laughs> Let's watch the old year die with a fond goodbye and our hopes as high as a kite. How can our love go wrong? Start the new